Welcome to Week in Horror. You gotta be fucking kidding. The only podcast that will feed your horror need. The need to feed. With JL. Yeah, I'm a fucking masochist. I'll watch that shit. <laughs> Eugene. Somebody has to be the sex symbol. I'm sorry. Alex. Shit, I just demonetize this forever. And Johnny O. How do you like that shit? Got half of the monologue. <laughs> Before I'm muting myself. Golly, it's one of those fucking days. <laughs> With industry guests. Hi, this is Richard Oakes, director of host. Hey, this is Adam Leader, director of host. This is Matthew Mark Hunter. Hi, I'm Don and Ellie. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. And this is Weekend Horror. And you're listening to Weekend Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! News, trivia, and more. One by one, we will take you. Join our live show Wednesdays at 7 central, youtube.com slash weekinhorror, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Week in Horror. Stay scared. <laughs> hey! Welcome back, horror fans. It's not Wednesday, it's Thursday, uh, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast that's just a color out of space. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast host, don't forget that you can join us here for our live show on our YouTube channel so you, too, can interact directly with the live chat, flex your horror knowledge, and maybe even win some trivia prizes this week, we are covering select films released in horror history, October 3rd through October 9th. Thank you all so much for joining me. I'm JL, and hopefully with me shortly will be Alex. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's one of those. It's one of those days. Uh, unfortunately, we did get delayed, and uh, we're live tonight instead of last night. So we're recording Thursday night instead of Wednesday. So we had some technical issues and some stuff that came up, you know, personal stuff. It happens. Life happens. These things kind of uh, just kind of jump at you. So what are you going to do? Um, so but tonight I was going to talk with some of uh, with the, uh, the other guys. We're going to talk with the guys and find out uh, what they were planning on doing for Halloween since we are going to officially be in the Halloween scene, you know, the Halloween month, the spookiest month of the year. But before Alex gets here, he should be here shortly. Let's take a look at who is in the live chat tonight. See, we got a few people. See, we got Chris Durham, music channels in the house. He was first, says boo, celebrating the Halloween season. Excellent. And the Jord set is in the house. Good to see you, Jord. Says, yo, I'm early. Good to see you. Mystique, good to see you. Says Peekaboo. Hi, everyone. Good to see you, Mystique. Thank you for joining. Oh, so yes, I had a name change. I'm in disguise. Ah, yes, it's the season. For that you know this is the perfect time of year to do that surf is in the house one of our amazing patrons as well as chris durham uh thank you so much and of course uh, i see oh this tina okay so it's tina is out okay very, very awesome good good to see you and then of course i see charlie welch the only man you never make a bet with is in the house says hey fellas good to see you charlie welch another one of our amazing patrons and Skuma Cat, Travis Brown, Angie, Ryan and Nance, who says, I peed. That's good to know. <laughs> and Angie says, hello, my fellow horror whores. <laughs> oh, we have the most amazing uh, audience out there. Oh, uh, let's see. Who else do we have? Who else do we see? I think I got it. Oh, and Jinju. Good evening, Jinju. Good to see you. All right. So, yeah. Oh, and Tony Regime. I see Tony Regime in the house. Good to see you, sir. 
Oh, a bunch of our amazing patrons and our amazing audience are in the house tonight. So before we jump into this, um, Alex is still not arrived. So hopefully I will be adding him shortly and then we can have a discussion before we jump into our movie selections tonight. I hope it's not just me talking about movies because that just seems very cringe to me. But, you know, I'll make do with what I've got. Uh, let me see here. I'm going to check Discord. See there? Okay. Oh, uh, let me see. Surf says, hmm, something wrong with that like button. think people need to hit it more. Absolutely. I would say so. Smash that like button. All right. Well, thank you to everybody who is here for uh, here to check this out. I know that I am the only one here on screen at the moment. Hopefully, um, I think Alex should be joining me here just momentarily. I'll add him in as soon as he gets here. So here I am uh, at the beginning of the Week in Horror podcast. And I guess what we were going to talk about is, well, I'm looking forward to Halloween. You know, it's that time of the year, you know, people, uh, you know, people who love what I love. This is the time of year that we look forward to. This is our Christmas. This is all of our, you know, all of the greatest, you know, all, all the holidays, the one that we're always looking forward to. The time that we can, you know, the weather starts cooling off and we can start dressing up the house and, of course, dressing, you know, dressing ourselves up on the on the big night, which is going to be amazing because, let's see, if I'm looking, you know, looking at this, that's right. Halloween is on a Sunday. It's going to be amazing. But uh, yeah, like we, I'll just, you know, what I plan on doing for Halloween, it's going to be a lot of fun, is uh, I always do up the house and I always dress, I always dress up, like do the best kind of like costume that I can. And I set up outside of the house and kind of like I'm a, like I'm a, I guess like a figure, just like I'm, like I'm a statue or a figure like this. I just sit there and wait and like that when the kids get close, I, I put out a giant, giant, huge bucket of candy and I always go for the best candy. I don't go for that cheap shit. I go for the really good stuff. I go for the regular size candy bars. The things that really get them in and they get really, really close. And then I scare the living shit out of them. They go scattering across the uh, the countryside. It's I've been doing it every single year. No matter where we were living, I always did it. I always set up so I could scare the crap out of trick-or-treaters. And it was always a lot of fun. The, the parents loved it. Lots of, you know, always want to take pictures and everything. But the kids, oh, especially the young ones, oh, just watching them scream bloody murders. They run away. It's absolutely fantastic. So that's my plan. That's what I plan every year. Is uh, and now, uh, what's great about the place that we just got? I have a massive uh, porch area in front of my house and this big yard up there. So I'm going to have plenty of view of all the trick or treaters coming up, and I'm going to scare the living shit out of them. It's going to be hilarious. Oh, I see. He's about to connect. I will get Alex in here. Come on, bud. Come on, bud. There he is. <laughs> camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two. Can you hear me? Well, he's doing something. I don't know if he can hear me just yet, but maybe he's got to turn his headphones on. That would probably be helpful. We can certainly hear him. Well, while he is uh, working on his audio, he's currently muted, but while he's working on his audio. Oh, that's interesting, Skuma Cat. The Skuma Cat says... I don't really like horror, but I like to hang out here. Well, that's one of the cool things about the horror community is that we are one of the most inclusive communities out there. And that's what I found when I first started up this podcast, that it was just, you know, that we were embraced so readily and so quickly um, by the horror community, which I thought was absolutely amazing. So, and uh, so you're welcome. We're welcome to have you. It's, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, let me see here. Oh, this is a good question. So what is everybody... I'm kind of curious, like, okay, if you're dressing up for Halloween, 
Let me know what you're dressing up as. I'd like to hear what people are going as. I see that Angie's going goth munchkin land this year. And of course the cemetery probably setting up the, setting up a house that way. Angie, that sounds cool as shit. Um, and surf says, yes, it's that time of year. The time where all the stores put, start putting out Christmas products. Yes. It is infuriating that they put out the Christmas products. So they start doing it. Like, you know, they start getting ready. Like for like the day after Halloween It's absolutely unacceptable or Halloween has been relegated to, Halloween has been relocated to uh, just one aisle of the store. It's just not acceptable. So that's why, thankfully, we have places like Spirit Halloween, which is amazing. So at least we get them for a month, or like a, like a month and a half. So we get them like a month and a half, and then they go away. But they, you know, that's what we need. That's what we need, dedicated stores solely for Halloween. Now we just need them year-round, much like the haunted house uh, back in Plano, Dark Hour. Dark Hour was a haunted house that was annuals, a year-round haunted house with events for all the major holidays. And you'd go in, so they would set it up for like a weekend or two weekends, have the whole, it's like a giant warehouse, and they would redo the entire warehouse for every single uh, holiday to do a brand new haunted house attraction for all throughout the year, which is amazing. Dark Hour Haunted House in, in North Texas is absolutely incredible. All right. Hey, stick so, your finger in your nose if you can hear me. Yes, we can hear you. I can't hear you. That's on your end. I don't. I don't know what you. Stick your finger up your nose if you can hear me. Okay. Yeah. No, I can't hear you for some reason. Yeah, we can hear you though. Oh, hey everybody. Can you hear us now? No, I heard you. You can hear. Or I. I saw you. You. You can hear me. I can't yes. hear you. Um. Then it's on. It's on your end. Is, is there something in the settings? No, not not on this end. You you have to connect. So I'm getting computer sound. I can hear my computer noises, but I can't hear you. Well, we can hear you. We can hear you just fine. So it's something to have something to do well, with your headphones. It's gonna be really hard to read your lips the whole entire show. It's something to do with your headphones. Huh? Something to do with your headphones. No, I can hear I can hear all my computer audio just fine. Yeah, it's nothing on this end. So it's it, it it's on your end. This is what we're dealing with. This is what I'm That's dealing so with. so bizarre. Hold on. Well, everybody says hello, Alex, <laughs> though he apparently can't hear us at the moment. Uh, what do we got here? So, oh, we got some excellent ideas. Um, let me see. So, oh, Chris Durham says, yeah, the same. most of the horror movies like were pre-1970. Good stuff. And we actually have a movie actually from 1979 that we'll be talking about tonight. Uh, let's see. Uh, Mystique says I'm dressing up as me. Oh, fantastic! Well, I hope you can get the beard right. You know, <laughs> Alpha K91 is now says Mad Max Plague Doctor. Of course, damn Skippy. That'd be that'll be that'll be sweet. Um, let me see. Uh, so Angie says Hell yes, Wizard of Oz equals my DNA. Is that DNA? Looks like DNA. I may have that wrong. Um, Chris Jerms is anything with Vincent Price. Awesome. Oh, George says, I want to go as the Winter Soldier, but the costume is so expensive, probably just going to end up going as the dude again. <laughs> hey, costumes be costumes, man, whether they're cheap or they're expensive. You know, you pull off the dude easy, bathrobe, shirt, bo you know, like boxer shorts, or I believe they were like flannel boxer shorts or like this, and then sunglasses and a glass of, uh, or sunglasses and a Caucasian, and you're good to go. So in a robe and some slippers. That's what you got. Yep, that's pretty much what it is. Alex services. Alex will just have to watch the stream. <laughs> um, so Alex, can you hear us yet? Now he's got himself muted at the moment. 
Awesome. Fantastic. Oh, Miss Diaz. Tina says, Alex, switch it off and on again. Although I don't know if he can hear us yet. Now he's talking, but he's muted himself. Uh, nope, I still can't hear you. Hey, everybody. Oh, I see you there in the, in the comments, though. I've turned well, it off I mean, and back on again twice now. Uh, switched ports, unplugged, replugged. I'm going to try to come back in. Give me one second. I'll be right. I'll be right back. This guy. This is what I deal with. This is the professionalism we do. We have on this show. This is why we you know, we, you know this. The, I mean, fuck that. What am I talking about? This is why we haven't hit a thousand subs yet. <laughs> Who's going to support this unprofessional show? Um. Okay. So, well, it's just me. So, uh, you know what? I'm just going to, uh, you know, I'm just going to plug. I'm going to plug forward. Um. What? What? Uh, what am I to do? Because uh, it's what we do. All right, so I, uh, I, so bear with me, okay. So I'm going to be honest. I've never done uh, a solo show. I've never done this by myself. This is my first time. So um, I've always had, you know, voices that I could bounce off of. So this is very, very weird. And to, you know, despite the fact that I have my own channel and I've, we've been doing this for, you know, three years now, I'm like really nervous, you know. Um, I'm like super nervous about trying to handle this because I, I, like I said, I'm, this is uncharted territory for me. <clears throat> so, uh, before we jump in here, I can see some, we have some new people that jumped in. Um, Ryan and Nance, good to see you again. Oh, and also Ryan, uh, let me know if you, uh, you got that shirt in, uh, your, your bonus shirt. I want to make sure that that got to you. Okay. Um, Commander Darklight, good to see you. Says, hey guys, Commander Darklight away from Australia. One of our amazing patrons, one of our original patrons. You know, who's really supported the show. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and I see H. Jasper E., our newest patron, who became a patron, I think, uh, two episodes, just our uh, last episode, became a patron with us. So thank you so much, uh, H. Jasper. Good to see you. Glober Mom says, hello, Weekend Horror and everyone. Good to see you, Glober Mom. And it says, you're fine. We blab off topic anyway. You got this. Uh, just like Bridge the Divide. Oh, thank you, Charlie. Just, just like Bridge the Divide, man. It's all good. You talk real good. <laughs> real good. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very, very much. All right. Well, then I will do my absolute best. So let's dive into the movies that we've got tonight. So the first movie that we're going to be taking a look at came out in October, came out October 4th, 1985. And it was an Italian horror film called Demons. And the reason, uh, let's see, let me just break this one down. You know, I can't just dive into them like that. i got to follow the script. So, Demons, directed by Lamberto Bava, with a screenplay by Dario Argento and Lamberto Bava, with Franco Fer uh, Ferrini and Dardano Sacchetti, and starring Urbano Barbar uh, Barbarini and Natasha Hovey, uh, Natasha Hovey of legendary fame. And then the film follows a group of punks, of 1980s punks, like mid-80s punks in Berlin, Germany, who go to the cinema and wind up being accosted by uh, the fellow patrons who are turned into demons by mystical means and then begin to assault them and then begin to take over the planet. So, and it's weird. It was a kind of a movie in a movie because what's happening in, in the movie itself the movie they go to watch at the movie at the theater, yeah, what would they see playing on screen is exactly what's happening to the to the characters in the show. So it's kind of a movie in a movie, a kind of media and res kind of a thing going that La Bava uh, brought into it. So the one thing in particular that we never really got to talk about a bit on this show was uh, Italian horror or like 
I think the, the term spaghetti nightmares, very similar to spaghetti westerns, but spaghetti nightmares. This idea of uh, the uh, or the ideology of horror in, in Italy is f- much, much different than it would be, you know, pretty much anywhere else. They have their own take. And if you you can, this is evidence in, uh, you know, the work of, like I said, Laberto Bava, Dario Argento, um, Fulci, a number of other individuals who are legendary directors and producers who, you know, brought us things like Cannibal and um, uh, or Cannibal and Cannibal Holocaust. They're really, really gory stuff. One thing I love myself, uh, I love personally about Italian horror is their willingness to go all out in order to get the scares, the willingness to really, really push the envelope and go for as, you know, the goriest shit ever. Like Cannibal Holocaust resulted in an in actual lawsuits because there were some people that believed that the actors from the film were actually murdered for the movie. So just crazy. Like, uh, I think Cannibal Ferox was another, was another big one. So really, really crazy stuff. But the, you know, this one was absolutely, uh, I loved what, going back and watching games. I hadn't seen it in a long, long time. And it was fun to kind of revisit it in that sense and kind of revisit that, that mentality of 1980s horror, especially 1980s Italian horror. Cause at the time eighties, especially in Europe was sort of kind of this, counterculture ideology because there was still the the censor broadcasts or the uh, the censorship um uh, movement going on in england and so that was having an effect kind of you know pushing out now french extremism was still around and german expressionism was still having a profound effect on it but the overwhelming shadow of the british censor was kind of pushing things out it was making very very hard to break into for anywhere else to break into that market because at that time you didn't often get to go just like directly to America unless you had the connections like someone like Dario Argento did because his movies were being really released directly in America. But a lot of Italian films had to go through the European market before they could get to the American market. And that British censor was a beast. So, but one thing that was cool because of this horror became a kind of counterculture and it was reflective in the kind of ideology of the eighties youths, especially in Germany, when just four years after this movie release would be the fall of the Berlin Wall and the and kind of the anxiety and I guess mental, I guess the ideologies leading up to the fall of that wall, the, the political pressure, the pressure from the uh, from the from the citizenry that would push for this event to take place. And as things kind of like boiled and got, you know, I would say got more intense as the pressure mounted it became more evident. It became evident in their clothing and the acceptance of the punk counterculture at the time, you know, the things that people wore, how they wore their hair. And of course the drugs that they did, cocaine was a big, big influence on the eighties, especially in Europe and most especially in German, in uh, Germany. And then of course um, all of this ideology, this whole kind of like revolutionary style of living and thinking is what ultimately culminated in the nay or in the idea or in the uh, the fall of the berlin wall now you can see this kind of reflected which is interesting how bava wrote it because i don't think it was his intention because it wasn't how he originally presented it when he brought it to, to argento because argento was fresh off of directing um phenomena and he wanted to come back and do some more production and this was the second script he looked at first one he just tossed like now nah, this isn't worth it and then he picked up demons there was some rewriting done here and there but otherwise it represented it kind of represented the idea of the new kind of the new breed of this youth coming up and just completely throwing out the old ways. So the old authoritarian or totalitarian ways that you know, resulted in such things as like 
know, East, East Germany and West Germany. These old regimes were being toppled in the face of this new, almost unrecognizable uh, culture that was coming up in the youth, which is what is represented by the demons coming up. It's just like everyday action going to the movies. And then here comes this kind of like what you see in the movie art imitating life. And then, of course, here comes all these what they call in the movie demons. It's just these mutated, changed human beings who are then infecting all the people around them. And then the only way to combat it is violence. So it was kind of an allegory as to what was going on at the time is that this ideology that things are not right now and only through violence can we over can we topple it can we change things can we spread our ideology the ideology that we don't need these kinds of barriers we don't need this kind of authoritarian control and we don't want essentially we don't want people telling us what to do and then that concept made it obviously was heavily reflected especially in horror you can see it over in the states with return of the living dead return of the living dead was a major uh film that expressed the 80s uh, counterculture, or say the, the uh, late seventies, early eighties, punk counterculture that was going to like that. They're going to do things the way they want to do, even if it means how they, you know, how they act in horror, which is fantastic. These kind of individuals were great. I see Alex may be back right now. Um, let me add him back in. How are you doing, Alex? You back? Fantastic. How are you doing tonight, JL? I'm doing good. You can hear us fine. Excellent. Yeah, I can hear you fine. I'll just so what was the issue? Restart. Well, okay. So the the power had gone out pretty shortly before um, you had texted me the first time earlier. And so the internet went out and my computer got all funky. And so I had to shut everything down go restart the internet. And then everything seems to be working fine now though. Jumping right back into your conversation about totalitarian governments though. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just the, the effect of this, the, the like, like Tony regime says there's excellent. Seventies uh, and eighties horror was lawless. There was no rule. It was whoever could set the. It, there wasn't even really a standard. Just you know, people just vying to grab a piece of the pie and just be like, "We can do this differently. We can do this. We don't have to follow the rules that were set before us by anybody else." Universal horror, hammer horror, none of it matters. We're going to go full broke, and it's just going to be this kind of ex- essentially, essentially, an expression of the of the youth at the time, the individuals at the time. That this was this kind of like the revolution and we saw a revolution across the board we see it in literature we see it in you know the in books that were written you know books that were written we see it in film we see it in theater we see it pretty in politics we see it everywhere and horror obviously was a great place for this kind of expression because you've got one idea you got the ideology of the youth the ideology of the uh, the people of the generation before them coming into collision throw monsters and shit in there and it's always a fun gory good time Absolutely. And this time period in the 80s, um, like you said, people were just kind of grabbing. They were lawless. That's a very good way to put it. Nobody gave a shit anymore. Everybody was pretty (laughs) fucking bored at this point, honestly. And you're talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall. And a lot of this does reflect that. Um, And uh, back to Bava real quick, you know, the stuff that came out right before this and the stuff that came out after this was completely different. Um, I think one of them was like Killfish or Devilfish. Uh, came out right before this so it was a killer shark and then this movie came out and then i think the one he did something in like 92 and i can't remember if that was the uh the slasher one or um uh see now i'm gonna have to so i don't sound totally stupid um oh no yeah that's right body puzzle was the one that he oh yes and so diving just into that kind of that time period when you could just do whatever the hell you wanted stuff like this 
uh, had a good platform to really sell itself because people were going to see the, you know, the crazy weird movies and, you know, something like going into a movie theater and then getting trapped in there and you're in the movie theater, watching the movie about getting trapped in the movie theater. It's exciting. And people, I don't want to take this. I heard this early on the internet. People in the eighties were bored. And so that was dangerous. And, you know, this gave, <laughs> this gave some, you know, some of these people that were like, oh, I can't sit in the house any longer. I'm going to fucking snap. Um, you know, they wanted to go do something fun and these kinds of movies really did it for them. So it was really cool to see this kind of transformation and people are like, all right, let's, let's fucking push the boundaries here. And then you see stuff afterwards, like the fall of the Berlin wall and, you know, a lot of like eradication of, um, just overreaching governments and people kind of got excited for a while. And I feel like we're kind of getting towards that kind of bored state again. Um, so it'll be kind of cool to see what comes out of the horror genre from, this kind of you know big up on the roller coaster of the last couple decades oh yeah oh i see ronan no last name is in the house this is gabba gabba hey everybody and he also yeah. said he also said uh yes italian centuries of gory creepy catholicism to draw upon oh, there gotcha. was uh, yeah <laughs> the, 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 i mean there's big influence in that not only in their set design and the or their, their set design their set dressing but also in the way that the authority always speaks to the youth is that there's always this kind of like you know this holier than thou attitude by the authority by the authority figures and then you know that just leveled it just put itself that the heroes or the, the whoever the protagonist is has to fight not only against whatever monsters have been conjured or whatever monsters are out there uh like like someone's talking about zombies being the ultimate kind of like you know conformist you know everyone is the same and then we got to fight against that stuff in order to break that trend and you know romero you know, jumped on it big time. It's like this: the idea is like everyone being one and the same, everyone driving towards one singular goal, and the loss of identity and the loss of self. And then, of course, we have to fight against that. You know, you know, no matter how bad it may get. And then his commentary that even in the fight against such things, we still are prone. We still are, you know, like shackled by our uh, by our tribalistic ideologies. Yeah, the, the yeah. death of Ben at the end of that movie, just like in this one. The protagonist is left. It's very, uh, it's very nihilistic in that sense. It's almost like Baba was trying to say that this kind of battle, of this fight of one culture rising up against the previous culture, that the idea that because he, the the last uh, character, uh, the the last guy left standing, um, played really, really well. I loved Urbano, Urbano uh, Bar uh, Barberini. I loved his work in this. It was very, very nuanced. And one thing that he did, what he conveyed was the idea. It was almost you could see the look of, I would say, the boomers when looking at. Oh no, it's not baby boomers. I would say like the generation before the boomers, the the greatest generation, the looking greatest at the generation. counter. Yeah, looking at the counterculture of the '60s and saying, "Where is everything going? Can can we stop this?" And almost kind of like that wistful look. It's like I remember when you know an older time when it was this way, and then all of a sudden here comes this push of the next generation, and you just are you can fight it as much as you want. But you're not going to defeat it. And it didn't. You know, it led to other things. And that's what he's got at that very last moment when the survivors come in, they got, you know, they got the 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 Jeep and they they they're trying to jump in. They find out that the girl, um, that Hovey has been infected when she was back in the movie theater, and she turns, and then you know, the dude in the passenger is like boom, and just blows her away with a fucking <laughs> shotgun. And she dies in the street. And he then, I mean, and then they they drive off as the, yeah. the demons are filling up the city. It's happening all over the city. And then, of course, they drive off and into an uncertain future. This very kind of nihilistic ending, where it's like you fought and you won and you escaped, but the you know the that's just one battle. The war's not over, and you lost the very thing that you were fighting for in trying to survive. 
Just because that, you cut the chains on the outside doesn't mean that you cut the chains on the inside. Right. You know, so he kind of has that look on his face as he as they're driving off. You know, there's look on his face like we can't win. Uh, you know, that almost yeah. kind of like existential dread right there is it's like just defeat. What what's the point? It's a pyrrhic victory that even that even no matter how hard the previous generation tries to fight, the one that's coming up will always push them out. That that mode of thinking in that generation will eventually die off and new modes of thinking will take its place. And they don't want to let it go because they fear that change. Well, and they that never should, will. And that's, you know, that's why it has to come. You know, that's why it's usually violent. Or in this case, it's extremely violent because it's demons. You know, they're like fucking eating people and tearing people apart <laughs> and shit and infecting other people, turning them into demons. Um, but still, I mean, still, I love what they and I love what they did with it as far as like creating the demons themselves. One thing that's really really cool about this, uh, so like there's that secret, there's that scene when they're in the they're in the theater and you can see like their eyes are like reflecting and shit. Uh-huh. And so Baba actually got that idea um, right in the middle of filming. He was like, "We got to do he was like something." He was like sitting there sitting there filming, and he's got he's going like, "What you know? What can I do?" And then all of a sudden it occurs to him they need to make the eyes glow. So how the hell do they do that? Fucking reflective paper. <laughs> yeah. That was it. Just use reflective paper. Yeah, and then of course, you, as long as your lighting is correct, your cinematographer right. knows what the fuck they're doing. Your DP is like, okay, let's try this. Let's get some. Let's get some fake. Let's get some fake smoke yeah, no, in here. Come down here. <laughs> Make it really moody, and then just hit hit them. You know, just like eye shine in a, in, a, in an animal. It's like that's what they did with this one. They just recreated with the reflective paper uh, oh, yeah, eyes to get that eye reflected. And I thought that was fucking brilliant. They, they did it great. They didn't focus on it too much. It wasn't like over the top. No, it was perfect. Uh, yeah, no, it was great. And, and the, you know, uh, you talking about this stuff and in my head, I'm thinking, man, this is every single generation. It's never been any different. It will yeah. always be the same. We're going to fight the people before us and we're going to be like, yeah, we're better than you. And then we get to their point where they were when we started the fight. <laughs> we're like, man, they had a really good fucking point. And then, you know, you live the rest of your life like, man, I should have listened. And I just feel like cycle, that's just, Yeah, it's just cyclical. It's crazy that you can come up with a movie that portrays that using demons and people locked in a fucking movie theater. That's that's what's brilliant. It's a good about story. The, it's yeah. It's what's brilliant about the horror genre is is how it reflects our society, how it reflects the the kind of anxieties of what the you know what a particular culture deal with. And even though this was an Italian produced film, Dario Argento producing, Lamberto Bava at the helm, you know, complete Italian production, no outside influence. And then, of course, you turn around and you, you look you look at what's going on in America. You look at what's going on all over the place. And the themes are the same. These themes yeah. are concurrent. You know, they're universal throughout uh, throughout humans and how one generation, you know, gives rise as, you know, you have new thought because you have more people, more exchange of ideas. And then, you know, the resulting, you know, we uh, are, you know, more connected communication wise. Nowadays, we have the Internet and, and you know, the world's, you know, the world's knowledge right in your pocket and you but just that's the only difference but you know uh, it's true at the but core it's the exact same thing you know, oh yeah when, yeah they, it's a, well i mean the modes of it is it's right. like so you know there was like like because like, um in the you know you talk about it in the 60s it was music yeah because as radio music technology as, <laughs> as radio technology expanded more music and more variety of music as as radio development got cheaper and everybody could have a radio in their car or in their home and so eventually even portable radios. And then all of a sudden the technology is cheap, more communication, more music is out there. And we get uh, more music influence from the Beatles and you know Elvis and the Jackson five and so on. And so, you know, hip hop and pop. And then we have the, the that which fuels the generation, you know, and, and you know, what you have is an increase in technology or an increase in radio technology. And then all of a sudden you've got Woodstock 
Right. <laughs> you know, the same thing goes along here. The increase in internet technology, the increase in communication of the internet, and all of a sudden you have the um, – We can horror podcast. The, uh, the Arabian Sorry, Spring. We can horror uh... – <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. But that's the only that's the only thing that changes is the technology, and that's never going to stop changing. Whether that yeah. be go all the way up and start over, or keep going forever, and you know, the, <laughs> I think at my age where I'm at, you've you've been here. I don't know if it was the same for you, but I'm hitting that point where it's like, man, things are a lot different than I thought they were going to fucking be. Like I realize that my parents were still growing up while I was growing up, and it's just like there's so much that goes on that you didn't realize when you were a kid that it's like existential. It's that existential yeah. feeling that you get in the movie is like, you, you're really just driving towards the end anyways, kid. So have fun while you're doing it. And uh, that kind of comes to a crashing halt in your 30s. That, that's why I dug why the mastermind behind the whole story and everything, the mastermind of this was the masked guy, the guy with that silver, the guy with the metal the guy, mask. Yeah, the guy with the metal mask. Because it was a faceless entity. Even right. though, even at a point that his right. face is kind of revealed, you like this, but still, that's how he presents stuff when he's in the subway, you know, and he's a, you know, and he gives them the tickets to the movie. And it's like this, this shadowy figure kind of in the dark, underground with the, with the, with the mask on. And it's kind of like, that's essentially what they look at is these nameless, faceless entities that are just like caricatures that are driving the change that they see in, in their society and in their culture. They see their culture dying at the hands of these entities that are just characters. They're just, these faceless things are just put up there and paraded and they're not really real, but they are. And it's kind of like, yeah, like you Congress? can't. <laughs> it's essentially, <laughs> essentially a personification of an idea and they can't fight it. You can't fight Elvis Presley. You can't fight the Beatles, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, sure, you could probably get in a fight with John Lennon. You I mean, know, you can, shoot, you life, can shoot a but, couple of them, but... but you can't fight what they what they you can't fight the symbolism there, and that's what that figure symbolizes: the nameless, faceless ideology of the unknown co coming from nowhere, coming from underground where you least expect it, giving you things and seducing you to this new kind of ideology, this new way of living and thinking, and it becomes infectious. Hence. The demons that run that run roughshod through the yeah, city. It's, it's hard talking about this movie because it's not like I mean it was a good movie, like it's worth a watch, but it's not like it was like a super influential movie. But thinking about it, it's like man, this is how it is right now. You've got a group of nameless, faceless people leading movements, and people are blindly following. And those people can become dangerous if they don't, yeah. you know, think for themselves and just follow what's yeah what's right in front of you. And there's a group of people that are going to fight back, and it's like. Do you, and at the end of it, I guess my whole point is like, does fighting it in the end, does that feel good? Was that right? Does that make you feel better? Or should you have just gone along with the pack and been, you know, happy and not have to think for yourself? Like you have to make that choice at some point in your life. Everybody does. And, you know, fighting against it's hard. But at the end of it, you're still an individual free thinker and you have that left. Do you want uh, it? Is it worth it to you? You tell me, and then you you choose. But you see, there's the juxtaposition, though. The juxtaposition sure. is that that those who have you know they've they've uh, they've what's this? They have um, actual or what's damn it? What's the word I'm looking for? Where they they've conformed. You have those individuals who have conformed to the system. They right. live within the system. They work within the system. They 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 are a part of the system. Essentially, they the are the system. Yeah, you have the counterculture that rises up against that, saying no, there has to be another way. And then they smash boundaries and they break through. But just because, it, but every if everybody thinks differently, if everybody is against one thing, then they themselves have conformed to an idea. 
I know, isn't that? And so up? they and liberalism in turn become <laughs> exactly they in turn become the next generation who had their ideology pushed out the old one, but then a new one comes up. And but then every, it's just normal. Yeah, exactly. And every which we don't want to conform, but we're all conforming to the idea that we don't want to conform. We want rock and roll. And that's why you know, say cool that all of the demons themselves are their own identity. Yeah. They're the only ones that are actually individual. And then, I mean, then you got to ask, is it a commentary on that the the individuals, the demons themselves, that they are representing the new counterculture rising up against, you know, the old, the uh, kind of the old regime? Are they, because they're demons, they're, they're mindless, they're wild, they kill at will and they infect others. Are they even aware that they represent in and of themselves as a group the very thing they're trying to topple? Well, or are they, they mindless right. and they don't get it? But that's the thing is like if you're on that end of things, you're thinking the same way that I'm thinking about you. Like it goes on both sides. People will push so hard. They will absolutely know in their heart of hearts that they are fucking right. And you could be like, that is absolutely wrong. And you are just as bad as they are because, you know, you're pushing back in the same thing that they are. These people believe that what they are doing is what they are supposed to be doing. And yeah. that it, it that's the easiest way to do it. I that's, absolutely that's believe this, thing. so I'm not I'm not doubting anything. You know, I I doubt everything. I'm so fucking skeptical of air. And like <laughs> that it's it leads to so many things. I'm at a point now where I just kind of let it go because people will just fucking argue until their ears turn blue. But you know, I'll be like, I'll look at something now and I'll be like, you know what? That's his fucking opinion. And I, who the fuck am I to be like, you're wrong? Because then I'm in myself and just doing what I'm telling him not to do. So yeah, it's a big circle, and it, it, like you said, the demons at the end, you know, are they themselves their own enemies, thine own enemies? Well, when they're their own enemies, but they don't recognize that they are becoming that which they are fighting against. Because in order to it's fight against it, you used to, no, in order to fight against the, the the previous ones, in order to, to band together and create a force big enough to take down the top of one, you have to come together and create an ideology that counters that, which essentially you're just replacing one ideology with the next. Even here's even if people, here's an individual, people are, exactly you're stupid. Hey, so, come tell, help, come with me and tell this guy he's stupid. So we're all you're united, stupid. and we all united to say that the previous guys are stupid, and we're all united by the fact that we're saying that they're stupid, and then they're saying so. Yeah, it, it, it's cyclical, and that I think that there was. With, that's uh, why George I, Washington's skepticism of the two-party system. That's why I love uh, Italian horror because there is a poetry to it that I think uh, that you can see in especially big movies like Suspiria and uh, um, uh, fucking Arge uh, uh, Dario Argento's uh, Three Mothers uh, uh, thematic trilogy is that there is a poetry to it. And I think that is the kind of echoes of the Renaissance that there's that there's this drive to have a kind of like if you know you're talking about like uh, Shakespeare with iambic pentameter that there is a way of speaking that this will never die that this is how you do Shakespeare. You know, yeah. da, 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 da. and so, and that I think with school, with yeah. Italian horror, there there is still no matter what it is, whether it's can't whether you know someone said whether it's uh someone mentioned Rug, uh, Ruggiero. Let me see. Uh, he was talking about the he was talking about the director of Cannibal Holocaust, and how even to that there is a kind of melody to the to the notes of the film. Do you know where where the staccato is? 
where things, you know, kind of like uh, diminuendo and then the big crescendo at the end. There's an almost musical poetry to it, like there is to the Italian language. And I think it's just a matter of the Itali- of how Italians express themselves culturally. And you see that. And that's why I love Italian horror film, because I can kind of hear those notes behind the uh, the action on the scene, on the screen. I see we got some new people who jumped in. I want to make sure that we say hi to them. Uh, let's see. I saw NAA in the house. Good to see you. Is this bacon and beer? Excellent. And let's try to miss anybody up here. NAA is in the house. Wrote a no less name. Said hello. And oh, see, plot holes. Is sorry, everyone's still stuck at work. All good, dude. I think we got it handled. Damn it, Johnny. Dude, after this shit show, it was good that we got two people in the same place at the same time. Right. I know. And Skuma Cat, I think Skuma Cat was lurking for a minute. And then let's see. Oh, Frank being Frank. Frank being Frank is in the house. Good to see you. Oh. And just Travis Brown. I'm sure people have seen this already, but I was on the internet earlier. And oh, Mr. Malort. The- Sorry. Mr. Malort yeah, is in the house. Good to see you. Is. Somebody on the internet, uh, I think it was on Tic Tac or whatever they call that nowadays, <laughs> those damn kids. No, but. <laughs> They get on there and he's like, I'm sure everybody's seen these videos already, but apparently it was like a trend, a trend. Um, he's like, I don't know what HD is, but the doctor just called and said I had 80 of them. Like 80 HD. It was the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. I was like, man, maybe these kids are kind of onto something. Uh, see, fr- uh, Donnie does that's in the house. Good to see you, Donnie. Uh, Donnie does that. And she says, recently I realized that my parents never knew shit. They were still learning too. I finally seen it when I realized that they still don't know shit. I was going to say, <laughs> I still get phone calls sometimes and I'm like, um, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like, what? Hell yes. Oh, right. and then uh, Surf says, one day these streams will have over a thousand people in the chat and JL will still try to say hello to every single one of them. That's because I love all you guys. Like I don't want shtick. Yeah, I don't want anybody to feel like they got left out. Okay, I, I love every every single one of you for even spending ten minutes listening to me bullshit about fucking movies. I mean that that takes that that, that takes more love than I think I deserve. It really, really does to hear me grab to hear me drone on. There's jail talking about horror movies again. <laughs> even yeah. Alex is like, yeah, I know. Hey, no, I was in the background. Yeah, I no, Alex, the Alex I is like. like Fucking week, I listen to shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to work with them guys. It wasn't just, it wasn't just this. Just we actually, yes, we actually worked in person. We had, we worked at the same company. We were on the on projects teams together, project team yeah. together. We until spent I get, like every day together for a while. <laughs> fucking hell, God, that was oh, that was so long ago. That's fucking wild. Oh, Travis show. Brown says, "Watch the house by the cemetery." Ooh, nice choice. House by the Cemetery from Lucio Fulci. It's a weird one, but God, it's that's, super a, good, that's weird. a good one. Uh, the cinematography in that, though, just sitting there watching. You could just turn the sound off and watch the visuals in that. It's great. Um, I had a question. There's a Italian vampire movie, and I cannot fucking for the life of me remember. It, it was black and white, so it was old. And it was a woman that was a vampire, and they were in like a department store, like a Sears, a lot. And if anybody has any idea what the fuck I'm talking about, let me know. It was one of the best Italian horror movies I've ever seen, and I could not find the fucking name for it. I, I was watching; it was on like TV late night one night, and it was just—it was fantastic. Years I ago, know, I don't know. I have to look into it. I'll have to dive into it. It was so good. All right. So since uh, yeah, we chatted about this one, let's jump to the CTA. 
you know, talked a bit about the history of demons, the history of, you know, Lumberto Bava and Dario Gento and Italian horror and the kind of in the influence of that time, especially, you know, considering, you know, Italy's kind of role in the world. And they had some dark times. They had some, you know, some good times. <laughs> but you can see that influence in how they speak. But I love the influence of the Renaissance, how that still, that kind of ideology, just, you know, that, that, that just that, I would say that atmosphere of that, that kind of like new age thinking of the, the push into science and, the other, and then romanticism. I love how that still is a thing that still is an influential thing in Italy today, which is amazing. But I want to ask the audience just straight up easy CTA tonight. What is your favorite Italian horror film? There are so many, but yeah, let us know in the live chat or in the comments below, what's your favorite Italian horror film. And maybe even what, if you have, maybe even not a film, if you have a favorite director, you know, I'm a big Fulci fan. I'm also a job. Oh, I would actually, you know, I say Fulci because I love his gory work, but I really love Argento. I love Argento's work and the just what he brought to it and the level of dedication he had as a director and a producer. I loved his effect. Uh, just you could feel his presence. It's kind of like watching Poltergeist. You know, it's directed by Toby Hooper, but you can feel the essence of Spielberg all throughout that movie. Right. And the way shots were lined up and with, you know, the way the family interacted with each other, how they captured those moments. That's Spielberg to a T. That's not Hooper. That's Spielberg. So, and you can feel like, I just, I love Italian horror. I don't get to watch it as often as I'd like, because I'm more often watching American horror, but uh, love There's it. so fucking much of it nowadays. Oh, yeah, And they got absolutely. some cool stuff coming out. Um, Rose, Rosemary's Bambino. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see, uh, Mr. Gorge, I think it's uh, Suspiria. Suspiria was a fantastic one. Of uh, um, Ivan uh, Ivan Piri, or Ivan Ivan Piri. I don't speak Italian. (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking speak Italian. I Vampire released. I wonder if uh, I wonder if they were talking about the movie I was talking about. Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that is it. Released in 1957. It was definitely a 50s era. Um, Hold on. I'm looking at Oh, right. Frank being Frank says, as a horror fan, I'm embarrassed to say I've never seen an Italian horror film. But this is a good thing. This is an excellent thing because that just means there is an entire world, an entire genre that you a subgenre that you have not tapped yet. And that means you get to tap it now. You can start in any way, but you want to start with the Italian versions of the Universal Monsters, the Italian versions of, of Hammer Horror. If you want to go with the Italian uh, you know, take on cannibals or you know, super stuff. You, I mean, whoever you dive into, you cannot go wrong. Now, some of it, I will, I will, I'll be honest. It's just like American horror. Some of it is cringe as fuck. Oh God, yes. Okay, some of it is cringe, but some of them are fucking breathtakingly. Just some of them are really good. Some of them are fucking scary. Some of them are just breathtakingly beautiful in their composition and how they're shot. And you just got to admire how they. And all how they, of them are low budget. Yeah, every single one of them. Tony oh, Regine, yeah. I think the only Italian horror I've seen is the same vampire film that Alex saw. And I can't remember that either. See, yeah. and the George said Blood and Black Lace was amazing. So many good things. Oh, uh, <laughs> and anything, and anything Godfather. <laughs> I mean, favorite Italian horror not movie: Casper the Friendly Goomba. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get in trouble. We go with that La Exorcista. <laughs> yes, a lot of Italian horror. See, oh, and actually, this is really, really interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, Angie says Japanese horror. J horror is the shit. You are yes. correct. And Mr. Lord says a lot of Italian horror seems like two movies cut together. It and always does. <laughs> and there's a reason. There's actually a reason for that. Is because to save on money, 
oftentimes films work use the same sets at the same time or they will use like be like actors be working on multiple projects at the exact same time that were in working in the same place so you actually get a lot of overlap between movies which can almost seem like you're watching the same movie but in a different movie which is really really wonky but this was just a matter of a, of a lack of production area because you know in Italy, it's not like, you know, they, at the time, there weren't, like, massive production studios dedicated to this like there were in, you know, in America and, like, La La Land and, you know, New York, where they have entire areas, entire districts that are devoted solely towards entertainment. Production studios, production houses. And Italy is a little bit different because they just were kind of lagging along behind. So they worked with what they had. They typically worked out of people's homes. They typically worked, uh, they would set up like really, really fast, like mobile offices that they could, you know, they could uh, run production out of. And a lot of the, or a lot of the, uh, the actual sets were mobile as well. And if they, if so, if they ever used like a, an actual like stage, or, like an area they had to prep, it typically was private property owned by somebody that they paid money to. And then that person would loan out their stuff, but there wasn't a lot. So you would get the same stuff and the same actors and the same people, the same kind of vibe throughout the entire production and through multiple productions, which would result in kind of that kind of overlap that he's, that he's hinting at, which is really, really interesting. Yeah. They did the best with what they had. <laughs> they, did, they did a fantastic job with what they had, honestly. I mean, if you really look at some of the stuff that came out and I know that a couple of people now, it looks like they have seen that movie that I'm talking about. And it was just some budget ass. Like you could tell they had $5 to make the movie <laughs> and they did it, you know, and they did it though. They it, it's the passion that they have for the art, and it's cool to see people who don't have the budgets like Hollywood because it's all about money and politics, and it's got to be you know you have a group of people every single day that all they they know this equipment, they know how to use it well in a way that makes um, their their passion for what they're doing really shine. Um, and it, it shows from even when film started over there. I I don't think film really started over there until a little bit later. Um, I know I've seen some stuff out of like the the late thirties, maybe early forties out of Italy, but um, you know, going back into the fifties, it's kind of still pretty new to them and they still, they still push through. And, you know, to this day, you can tell that they're still coming up with more, you know, more ideas, good ideas um, and really still putting the passion into it. And it's not diluted by shit. Like, you know, like American Hollywood money, which is cool. And that's what makes it good. So see Travis Brown says low budget movies really makes horror movie movies more scary than big budget movies. I Absolutely. agree with that. Chris Durham music channel said there are about three movies that use footage from first spaceship on Venus. <laughs> I would not doubt that. As a matter of fact, I, well, I would actually hazard, there might be more, <laughs> you know, you use what you have access to. Um, and of course, uh, let me see. And, Oh, where did it go? Where did it go? He said, Oh, Frank, Frank said, I totally agree. Some of my favorite horror is low budget. Big productions seem to try too hard. And they do. Sometimes they do. And they end up relying on something like, you know, the one one that really kind of bummed me out was I'm a big fan of Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, as an actor. I like his work. I especially liked him as Vegan, but I, or sorry, Vegan. I liked him as Negan <laughs> in The Walking Dead. But, I like I re him. but I've liked his other stuff as well. He's a good dude who can go in multiple directions. I liked him in Supernatural. I like the Bro. movies that he's done. Uh, even um, in like the fucking in the losers, you know, he can do oh, yeah, whatever exactly. he wants to do. And, and that's then my, it, my wife it, is obsessed with him, bro. Like, I'm sorry, I got to throw it in there. Every time okay. he comes on the screen, she's like, I'm like, you and then it like did, that shit. And it turns around, but then, you know, the, the movie The Unholy came out. And it was, you know, you have this talent. You have these amazing people that you're working with. And not not a bad script. And it descended into reliance on jump scares, which really depressed. I was like, why? You didn't yeah. need to. 
You could have gone atmospheric with this because it was creepy. It was rural, countryside. You have the unscrupulous journalist who was found faking his leads so he could, you know, get, you know, get, you know, rise to fame as a journalist. Then he gets found out and now he's disgraced and he's like, he stumbles upon a real, you know, supernatural event. It could make his career again. And, uh, you know, and then the girl who's being used by a demon who's pretending to be, you know, the, the Virgin Mary. It was a real, I mean, th- this is interesting. This could be some, I mean, this could be some fucking, you know, like some you know, a- good, there's there's psychological shit that could, that could go back to the omen, that could go back to Rosemary's Baby, that could go back to the exorcist. You had an opportunity with the technology today to shoot a really, really solid film that would, would pay, almost pay homage to this kind of atmospheric horror especially atmospheric religious horror, which is where the horror in religion comes from, is from the atmosphere, the brooding atmosphere, the existential dread of what comes after. And you could have had that, but no, we got to have ghosties jumping at the screen like every five fucking minutes. And that was just so disheartening. I was like, come on, you people are better than this. Yeah. Well, But nonetheless, but I digress. Probably need some fucking money. Um, Yeah, this is true. Oh, Travis Brooks says, anyone need to watch Watchmen because Jeffrey Morgan is in it? Yes, and he was great as comedian. I thought he was fantastic. Um, the row, uh, let me see. Uh, it says, the reason I like the old, oh, Chris Durham says, the reason I like the old Vincent Price stuff is that it's basically dialogue and acting. Exactly. Vincent Price, Peter Cushing, um, Christopher Lee. That right there is the heart of Hammer Horror. These guys, oh, and sometimes it was over man. the top. Sometimes he was kind of like, ha you know, it was like a silver bullet. It was like, oh, you know, yeah. it, it's big and it's amazing. It's theatrical, you know, like this is how you would be on stage. These are classically trained theater actors and they're bringing their shit to the, to the horror genre, which is where it works. It's big. It's over the top. It's loud. It's, ah, it's, you know, big giant close-ups of Christopher Lee and his big fucking eyes and shit. And <laughs> it's great stuff. And I love that. I, I love that stuff. And it, it, but it puts the focus on the actor. The actor, the director, the cinematographer. Can you set a fucking scene? Can you direct your people? And do your actors actually know how to fucking act? You know? That's why I love that. I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely. But nobody's ever going to catch up to Christopher Lee. He witnessed the last guillotine execution. (laughs) Nobody will ever be that fucking insane. Nobody will ever be as cool as Christopher Lee. This is true. The actual inspiration for James Bond. Yeah, yeah, no, it's he's he's an amazing dude, and not everybody's like that. But you know, you do get those uh, few, those few that really make this pop. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I started thinking about low budget horror. No, if anybody, okay. I saw so, a movie called uh, Before I Wake. I don't know, I slept on it. I guess I didn't even fucking see it. It's 2016. It was great. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. Check it out. We should talk about it. Um, yeah, oh, actually, Tony Regime. Yeah, all those classic Dennis Wheatley stories were a staple of Hammer. A fucking hell. Oh, it just takes me back. Great stuff. All right. But yes, definitely let us know what is your favorite Italian horror or say Italian horror director, whichever you prefer. Let us know in the comments below or hit us up at weekendhorror at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. All right, Alex, you want to pick up this next one or? Man, I don't have notes for this next one. You go ahead on this one. I'll take you. Oh, you don't have notes for this this one? Um, I've got I've got some notes, but um, if you've got the director and stuff, I would have thought you would have fucking loved this movie. No, I I do. Just get the director (laughs) stuff. We'll we'll talk about it. So bad. It's so (laughs) no. It's 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 fucking. It's 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 one of those. It's it. it, Oh, I hate. I wanted so badly to love this movie. Released October fifth, nineteen ninety. We have the animal horror film Shockma. 
also known as Panic in the Tower. <laughs> I'm glad they dropped that fucking name. Which makes so, no fucking sense. Ooh, but... Yes, directed by Hugh Parks and Tom Logan. Uh, screenplay by Roger Engel, starring Christopher Atkins, Amanda Weiss, Ari Myers, and Roddy McDowell. Like, it's like, I mean, it's like uh, Roddy, I mean, fucking Planet of the Apes, Roddy McDowell, and uh, fucking, you know, Fright Night, Roddy McDowell, and then fucking Am- Amanda uh, Weiss from, or that might be Wiss, I may be up, but Amanda, I think it's Amanda Wiss from uh, fucking Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Uh, fucking lineup. Yeah, she was Tina, uh, Tina in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then of course yeah. Christopher Atkins. I mean, all, I mean, all of them. You know, pedigree names. And but to break this one down, I mean, I, I had to give the pedigree of the actors. These are clad. These, I mean, these are great actors who owe a horror pedigree. Okay. Uh, okay. So the story follows a group of med students who one night decide to play a a LARP. They decide to LARP Dungeons and Dragons. So. <laughs> One of their guys, one of one of the guys, is their dungeon master, and he creates this campaign that they can LARP out in the building. So in the building, they go out and they're they're going to do this LARP session um, one night. Unfortunately, in one of the labs is this um, this baboon, this uh, this laboratory baboon is you know, using monkeys. You know, they've been doing experiments on named Shockma, okay, and Shockma, um, by virtue of the experiments, has been driven insane. And Shockma breaks loose and then starts hunting down all of the, you know, the, the stupid LARPers who are just running around doing their thing. And then, of course, you, you know, it winds up in this cataclysmic battle. Um, one thing I got to say that, okay, one thing I like <laughs> about this movie is the animal action. This, this is the one thing I really like. They use a real baboon. Uh, the baboon's name was Typhoon. He was a, an extremely well-trained uh I, I don't. I don't want to mess up the pronunciation of the name because he wasn't a Shakma baboon. He was the other one. Shakma baboons look different and they're a little bit smaller. But this one was a. I just want to make sure I pronounce it. A Hamadryas baboon, and the Hamadryas baboon is the one with the the big, big tufty mane. It Which, comes out like the, like the upper body, like it's all tufty and everything, and then you know down low. Got the blue there. and the red and the. No, that's the man. That, that's a mandrill. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's a different one. Yeah, it's, but they're all monkeys to me. I know they're primates. Yeah. Too, but... <laughs> but I loved, I loved Shockma in this. I loved the, the the work of the other. This was some of the best animal action I'd seen in a while. What make this one good was unlike a movie like Cujo is with that movie you had a combination of things. You had dogs. You had multiple Saint Bernards that played Cujo. Right. And then you had you had puppet dogs, and mm-hmm. then you had you had puppet dogs. And then you had a guy in a dog suit, right? For, you know, doing <laughs> doing some doing some of the of uh, the more violent action. Whereas in this one, all of it except for the scenes, except for the final scene where Shockma is inevitably killed because you you've got to kill the evil monkey. Um, where Shockma dies, other than that scene, all of the action was the baboon. Yeah, and that and, was. That was the only good thing about the fucking movie. Yeah, it was pretty this much it. Was that baboon it was, was in, that baboon was intimidating as fuck. I understand why Amanda or why yeah, why Amanda was fucking terrified of it. Because that was the big really thing on set. She she would not be in the same room as the fucking baboon. Everyone right. loved it. And apparently, according to according to the uh, production journals, Typhoon was a blast. He was a fun monkey. He was like, you know, play around, do this deal like this. He responded to his trainer. He was smart, never got out of control, never hurt anybody. 
beautifully done. You always say never work with children and animals because animals aren't predictable. But Typhoon was amazing, but Amanda was just fucking terrified of him. And was just like, ah, no, don't want to be here. No, giant monkey. No, I think it was probably the canines on that fucker because they're like three inches. They're almost like three inches, dude. They're fucking huge. I'm just looking up a statistic real quick. I'm sorry. Oh, on that particular that particular species of baboon? Um, Kind of. Hold on. Let me see. While he's looking uh, that up, someone over, mentioned uh, Christopher Atkins. Um, oh, yes, where Christopher Atkins from the Blue Lagoon battles a crazy baboon. It's pretty much it. <laughs> Oh, it, it was right. good stuff. But <laughs> no, it really is. I'm sorry. I had to look up uh, how many people get killed a year by baboons alone, and it's over 100 people a year. They're fucking dangerous. And this they're movie, dangerous. It shows, you know, it, 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 that's a good acting monkey. He's like good. He, like you said, he never got out of hand or anything. But they portrayed him as terrifying. And baboons are fucking terrifying. They'll rip your face off. Like it happens. It's no joke. Yeah. And Alpha Kid at once says, no, animals and kids are scene stealers. They can be professional or difficult. I've seen both. And agree, they can be. Yeah. And just, I've it's just a lot of animals. You think they're the greatest thing in the world. And then they'll buy I've had a horse that I I've been around for a long, long its whole life. And still will randomly just bite the shit out of me. And it's like, you don't know. They could just snap and something like a baboon or a horse could kill a person instantly. There are there are, pictures, there are pictures of Typhoon riding on the back of his trainer's <laughs> motorcycle with him, like he would just travel around with him, be like just I'm, you know, I'm like, surprised so like you this big ass up. baboon. It's like this big ass baboon just kind of hanging on the back of the uh, the motorcycle with uh, his trainer. It's good stuff, but the movie in and of itself, and I want I'm sitting there looking at it, it's like yeah. you have uh, okay, so obviously I guess D and D and the reason D and D was used I think is because at the time. D&D was a hot topic. 1990, yeah, it was coming up real hot. D&D <laughs> was a hot topic. You know, parents were against it. Um, That's this why is Dungeons coming... and Dragons is uh, and Stranger Things. Like, that was such a hot thing at that time, you know, during right. that time period. Now, this isn't like, you know, Nancy Reagan. This isn't like Reagan shit <laughs> in, the, in the 80s where Nancy was, like, all up against, you know, the this kind of, these kinds of cultures thinking that. And there was the, the thinking that D&D led to satanic behavior and shit like this. But... It was a hot topic. So I think that's what they use simply just to deal with what are the kids going to do? What are the med students going to do? Well, let's let them do this. It was just, so I think that's why it was, it was so unfamiliar. And it was like, I, I didn't like it because it didn't look like any of the actors were like familiar with D and D and they just kind of like did their thing. It was almost like watching um, mazes and monsters oh, you know, with, with Tom Hanks. <laughs> It was like, you know, uh, we're going to do a movie about the evils of D&D, you know, especially when, they, when they, especially when they affect people who have mental illness. But we're so going to do this movie, but no one under, no, like no one knows it. And no, no one it's gets like it. I know, they, kids. I know they use graph paper. I it's know when, it's, they went to ask their kids and their kids didn't want to tell them like the truth because they didn't want to get in trouble because, you know, sometimes it is a little risque. So they lied to them and then they used that lie to make the movie. Um, and so that's what they thought of. it's what it seems like and that's the thing is like the actors aren't it's not terrible acting it's just like the roles weren't for these people it felt very <laughs> lazy it felt very lazy like really we, have, we have professional like, we have professional actors they know what they're doing they they, they, right. they know their craft they know how to the deliver writing lines. Was lazy as shit and the sure. writing was lazy as well it's just like yeah. we need a reason to do this so the D angle felt forced the actors kind of looked lost when they were trying to engage in this it was almost like you know like every single one of them when they were trying to do their character stuff for the larp it was like watching kids doing you know a stage production is like i'm a i'm a knight and like it was kind of like come on guys you know what i mean 
at least come out a little bit better than this. But hey, man, it's a fucking paycheck. It's a horror movie. You know, not a lot of people saw it. The movie was a was a bomb. It didn't do well, but it's got a little bit of a cult following now. And I think it's only rests upon the animal itself because Shockma, especially the way the cinematographer worked with this, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and that was Andrew Bieber. Andrew Bieber, the way he captured scenes, the way he used light, and he uh, the way he used light and the way he used the kind of like um, the sterile nature of the medical building that they're in, the medical complex that they're they're currently in, that they're currently locked in for the night because right. that's why they can't escape the building. But they have the very sterile nature of it and the way he used moonlight coming through the windows in order to frame Shockma and make him look even more terrifying in specific scenes. And, of course, just how fast these animals really, really are made it even worse. Yeah. And so I really, really enjoy That's why I mean, and, and it ended on the note where we don't know if Atkins' character is going to survive at the end because he's fucked up. Like, you know, <laughs> before he before he got Shockma in the incinerator and managed to kill him. And now now he's like. Oh, okay. and, and I think I can't remember what uh, I had. What, I it was going off memory here. I can't remember what his last fucking line was. I, it was so unfair. It was so forgettable. I just I don't recall it. But I just remember him sitting there with a look on his face, and he's like, "Uh," and Shock was like, "In the that was the only time they used the puppet with when they was it was in the incinerator. It's like you know banging against the wall and everything. You can kind of see its face a little bit, and then it just kind of fucking uh, that's where it ended. So it was kind of a nihilistic ending. It was a kind yeah. of a downer." Yeah, Shock was dead, but so was everybody else. So the was is probably going to die too. Roddy, Roddy McDowell dies like, a th- like a third of the way through the movie. <laughs> in the beginning, it's like I was just here for the paycheck, you know. And that was obvious. You don't put a he name. He was on like, a plane before they cut the next scene for sure. Exactly. He's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to get smoked, and that's pretty much it. That would, when you bring in names like that, you got them a big chunk. Of it. I'm willing to bet that that's why the bill. Now, if you notice something about it, and this is all about money, okay. Go back and you'll, you'll go back in your memory and, and think about the building itself. Think about what, what was in the building. Like, think about, like, this is supposed to be a medical complex. What was right. in it? Like, what did you see? What do you remember? No. Did you see instruments everywhere? Did you see computers everywhere? Did you see all the, the, you know, te- the technology and equipment that they would use in the med- – you don't see anything. It's you see scant pieces. Walls. Like, white <laughs> walls. White tables. It was all – it was, it was, it was, I mean, the building itself was characterless and they needed it because it's and the building that they shot in was, it was, it was a renovated building that was not built. Essentially it was office spaces. That's all it was. It makes so much more sense. And <laughs> okay. you can't spend money to set dress when all your money's going to fucking Roddy McDowell to give your movie some credibility at the box office. And then he fucking dies. And then he dies. With the, you know, the, I mean, that's what it is. He's not going to be through the whole thing. It's just literally, he's going to show up. He's going to get some credibility, say Roddy McDowell lines, and then die. And then he can go off, he can collect his paycheck, and then they have to, you know, carry on uh, carry on the rest of the film. But that's, you know, then you see this all the time. When names are brought in for credibility, and unfortunately, they don't have the money. It's either pay for the credibility or pay to make your movie look good. And because you have an excellent animal actor, Typhoon was an amazing monkey, his trainer was incredible. And you have some decent talent. You've got Tina from Nightmare on Elm Street. You've got Chris, you know, Atkins from uh, Blue Lagoon. So you have, you know, some credit, some credit right there. Now you just need to make it scary. Well, uh, the monkey bouncing around white white rooms with nothing in them, <laughs> killing idiots. I mean, sure, it makes the blood stand out. I mean, that became yeah. very, very obvious. You know, yeah. when everything is white, ah, oh, blood splash all over the white walls and shit. It's like that's great, but it just it got boring. 
And we kind of knew where it was going to go and it ended kind of on a nihilistic tone. There was no message here. It wasn't even a, we shouldn't experiment on animals because they might go crazy and kill us while we're LARPing D&D. There was no message <laughs> here. It was just a, a lab monkey got out and killed a bunch of people, killed a bunch of stupid fucking, they're med students. What the fuck? I hope these are, these are, I hope this isn't representative of the people who are actually in our medical industry because that's really disturbing. You, it's not. These kids were dumb. They were fucking dumb. <laughs> it, it, was, it, it was like they were written to die, and that's not how you yeah. have a good character. I mean, a couple of them, yes, but like when you've got a group of people like that, there has to be more storyline. It's just not like, ah, dead, ah, dead. You know, there's no plan. I mean, they kind of try to come up with like, but yeah, no, it's it's pretty terrible. It's not even honestly worth your fucking time. Yeah, uh, I know. I, I was seeing in the live chat they're talking. They were talking about that event where that lady was attacked by her chimpanzee, or uh, it was either her chimpanzee or a friend's chimpanzee. I think it was a friend's chimpanzee attacked her and tore her uh, face off. What's and, her you know, face? Nash. Uh, that's very poor choice of words. What? Me? No, because you said what's her face. Oh fuck! It's <laughs> <laughs> like very poor choice of words, but she's—I think she was attacked by wow. her, her friend's chimpanzee, and uh, you tore her face off and really, really messed her up. I think she had a fa- she had a face transplant. Uh, yeah, she was. All, I remember she was all over daytime TV when I'd stay home. Yeah. School. So yeah, but uh, oh yeah, felt it. But yeah, I can understand about... why. I can understand why Amanda was terrified of the baboon because you know. On the you know, chimps, they kind of have a friendly demeanor. They kind of gives you know they have their faces, and you can kind of recognize them. they have the ears. They make the cute little noises. <laughs> you know, hummadryas uh, baboons don't do that. No. Okay. They're, they're tall. Territory. They can they can stand. They've got upper body. They got long arms. The big fucking mane, long ass snout with those big ass fucking <laughs> teeth. Right, so they 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 definitely look more animal than they than they do uh, primate in that respect, and so there you go. I mean, I can understand why she was afraid of them, and of course, you know, chimpanzees are fucking dangerous. Um, nerd journal, hey, nerd journal's in the house. Good to see you, nerd journal. Yes, Alpha Canada one. She got a face transplant. It's a really poor choice of words. <laughs> that was just that was just bad. Uh and yes, Angie, have you seen Key and Peele's skit on pitching the first and second Gremlins movie? Yes, that was hilarious. That was brilliant. You mean like a, you mean like a bat? It's like a bat. So yeah, but we've talked a bit about this one. I I, I mean, this is a guilty pleasure for me. I kind of dig the movie Shockma. I like it for the animal horror. I dig animal horror films. Orca, you know, Grizzly, Prophecy, movies like this. I, I've always entertained me, and Jaws especially, you know, or you know. Or a number of other, you know, ocean movies, woods movies, doesn't matter. I always dig out the do because I want to see how they're doing it and if they're doing it right. And of course, you know, sometimes they come off as really, really goofy, like uh, like that horror show Zoo, where the animals all turned on humanity. That was so cheaply done. A lot of green screens that was just goofy. But sometimes they're done really, really well. Like you know, the the movie the uh, the bear, which is really a horror film, but is seriously a dramatic movie. And I like movies like this that use real animals and use them respect, uh, you know, that respect them and use them correctly. So I want to ask another simple CTA. We'll ask uh, to everybody in the audience, what is your favorite animal horror film? So let us know in the live chat or down in the comments below. If you're listening when we this goes live on Sunday, 
let us know in the comments what is your favorite animal horror film what's the one that you always go back to like if you see it on tv you're gonna stop and watch it we'd like to know you can shoot us an e uh let us know there or shoot us an email weekendhorror at gmail.com uh angie says uh she got a new haircut and the chimp didn't recognize her she called her friend over to help her get him inside and he ended up looking uh looking at her like like she was a threat the 9-1 audio is yeah it's pretty fucking insane I, I remember hearing that at one point it's pretty crazy Ooh, travis brown monkey shines yes about the uh the uh the quadriplegic dude who makes a telepathic link with this helper monkey and the helper monkey ends up going and killing people and shit because it reads his his uh his anger and his rage and situation starts taking it out on the people that piss him off oh i remember that that was a good one. Oh yeah oh jinju night of the killer shrews fucking hell good times um oh plot hole birdemic <laughs> fucking ridiculous <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, so many good ones. Cujo is a personal favorite of mine. I really love Jaws. Um, oh, Tony Regime says, Zoltan, Hound of Dracula. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, Alf Kennedy one. Ben, that would be the sequel to Willard. Very cool. All good stuff. Willard was good, too. And the door says, favorite, Congo. Easily, easily. Can't be funny and kind of scary. Scariest Cujo. It's so terrifying, especially since... I've always had large dogs. Uh, I've always I had large dogs that could easily kill me. Yeah, I, I like Cujo is one of my favorites. I absolutely love that one. I love it for the dog for the uh, the dogs for the the Saint Bernard they used it. And I love it for D Wallace because D Wallace was trying just absolutely transcendent in, in that film, just gut wrenching. CPM, oh good, hey, good to see you. CPM says the birds, awesome. Angie says, I felt bad laughing, but damn it, but it sounded hella fake. Oh, they talking about the 911 call for the chimp attack. Oh. <laughs> Donnie yeah, Dustin says, terrible. Night of the Leapus. Fucking A. Wow, yeah. Night absolutely. of the Leapus. Oh, you know another one? Kingdom of the Spiders. Bro. bro. William Shatner, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> They're like everywhere. Yes. Uh. Oh, yes. In a Night of the Shrews. Um, uh, what was it? Oh, wait. Uh, Night of the Killer Shrews. Uh used to love the furs on dogs for the shrews. How they made the shrews <laughs> look bigger than they were. It's great stuff. Oh, uh, Alpha Canyon One says there was another one with a with a mutant Tibetan mastiff that was Cujo S. That would be go ahead. Max. Max three thousand. From Man's Best Friend. From Man's Best Friend, yeah. Yep. We did a uh, bloodbath, Cujo <laughs> versus Max. Pretty good one. Oh, CBM says spiders, no, please. <laughs> so many good ones out there. Arachnophobia. Arachnophobia, arachnophobia was um, oh, it's fucking amazing. Arachnophobia was, uh, was good. Eight-legged freaks was fucking hilarious. Eight-legged freaks, Kingdom of the Spiders, Itsy Bitsy was a good one. Yeah. Um. Oh dang. Uh. Oh god, yeah. Big ass spider. Big ass spider was yeah, fantastic. Big ass spider. big ass spider was great. Has arguably uh, one of the greatest intros I've ever seen to a movie. Yeah, that was good. Just you know him with the devastation of the city and uh, uh, that cover of Pixies Where's My Mind. I just thought it was just like he's like looking around at the destruction and it's just like playing his head is fucking great. That was that was just an underrated movie. Mike Mendez is brilliant. I've got to get him on the show. I'm friends with him on Facebook. You know I gotta get him on the show sometime if he's free. Why don't you send him a message? I did. Oh, I said, hey Mike, we gotta get you on the show. <laughs> That's what she said. Fuck no. Oh, uh, and Annie says, JL, I vaguely remember Giant Killer Rabbit movie back in the 80s. That would be Night of the Lepus. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we, we covered that one. Um did we cover Night of the Lepus? I think so. I think it was real early. 
I don't know if we covered. Maybe we did. Maybe we did cover it. I'd have to go back to. I'm mean, fucking three seasons, man. Uh, yeah. Um, no, was, I feel like that oh. was probably a long, long time ago. Oh, nerd journal says I thought we talked the weekend horror crew into playing some phasmophobia on stream sometime for Halloween. Well, that was that's on Alex here. That's on the man who's uh, who's handling our digital uh, digital darkness on YouTube. There. Upgrading upgrading technologies one step at a time. We'll get there. We will get there. I tried. I tried Smite the other day just to see if we could push like you know the limits on stuff, and I'm still running a little laggy. All right, let's jump to our next one. So, Alex, and I have to tell you, I actually watched this one because I I had trouble remembering it, and there's not a lot of details online. So I actually watched it again right before I I just finished it like 30 minutes before we went live because I, I when just, did you when did you see it first when it first today, came on oh, oh no 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 I think <laughs> it was on the sun I think it was on a, 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 I think it was probably 8990 it was a, it was on a TV so I think what I can't remember what station it was on but they should they had weekend horror films and this was one of them it was one of the so. three channels that were on TV back when color TVs first came out but yeah, you want to take this one? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about uh, the <laughs> super fun uh, October seventh, nineteen seventy nine vampire, which was a uh, what a title! <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> which is weird because this is like a made for TV uh, horror film directed by E. W. Schwackhammer, um, co-written and produced by Steve Boncho. Steve Boncho. Steven Boncho. Steven, Steven Bochco. Dude, why. yeah, Steven Bochco is like fucking Hill Street Blues, yeah, Dookie yeah. Hauser, LA Law, fucking uh, NYPD Blue. The man. <laughs> on, a, on a, yeah, I don't know. See, whatever. We'll get into that. Um, uh, this was starring Richard Lynch, Jason Miller, uh, E.G. Marshall, Catherine Harrell, Jessica Walter, uh, and Joe Spinell. I actually know Jessica Walter. I didn't really put that together until just now. But, anyways, kind of the just quick gist of this plot was a. Uh, uh, millionaire vampire that um, ends up being hunted by two, uh, you know, vampire hunters in San Francisco. Yeah, which seventy nine in San Francisco, you kind of guess how this movie went. It's essentially it's it's essentially like uh, it's very much the Dracula story where you have this where you essentially you have um, oh fuck essentially you have uh, Richard Lynch who is just a classic who was a classic character actor. I think as a matter of fact, I think he passed away in two thousand twelve. Um, fantastic character actor, play actually played a lot of Nazis and uh, a lot of you know German soldiers, soldiers because of this look. Just and the then he looks, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, but you know, playing you know these these kind of characters like you know debonair, suave, oh, you're the you know very European look and stylization. So he he commonly played. He was in one of the. I think he played the commandant in one of the uh, an SS officer in one of the puppet master films, the one that Blade became the uh, the the you know you know what I'm talking about. With the yeah. blade and the uh, exactly yeah so he like he played the character who eventually would be you know become blade so in that uh in that so you got his vampire is essentially dracula then you got eg marshall legendary actor um and people remember him from uh because it was this was beforehand he would later go on to be in creep show as mr pratt who was killed by the cockroaches okay and then you've got jason he's essentially van helsing He's the the old weary guy who has who has all the, the details you need. He's going to lead the hunt and the strategy to take on Dracula. You got Jason Miller from Exorcist fame. He was the younger priest in Exorcist, and he would go on to be in Exorcist three as Patient X. 
And then uh, <laughs> Jessica Walter, who, who I'm going to have a legendary career before she passed away. Jessica Walter was, I think, best known as Lucille Bloom yep. in Arrested Development. She was in it. And then, of course, Joe Spinell, who one year after this would pretty much cement himself as a horror legend in the movie Maniac. Yep. So, I mean, just, you know, and I didn't, I didn't realize this, Joe Spinell, fucking on, you know, off and on Broadway actor, you know, uh, you know, award you know the guy was amazing an incredibly talented actor and then he would yeah. go i mean he did a little like little bit parts a little like bit supporting parts and then of course you know in horror he was a leading man but he didn't get to do much as far as film goes he didn't really make the transition but the guy was really amazingly talented and uh, he, but yeah he always picked he knew what he was good at, and he was you know picked and chose like you said he did little parts because yep. he knew what he was good at and he knew where he belonged and he did great in all of them um, so the one thing, the one thing I want to touch on this, so I did, despite the fact that it's kind of like a modern, a modern kind of like it took the, the major plot points of Dracula and just put him onto this. There's, you know, there's he, so many parts of the movie where I feel like some like 80s, like, well, I mean, the disco scene was kind of badass. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a scene when they're at the disco. You and did you did you recognize how many bits they took uh, that Fright Night took from this? I, seriously it was like it was so it was like to the t at some of these things it was like I, so, yeah and that's the, <laughs> yeah. That, and that's the wild thing i'm getting i wanted the, the first thing i want to bring up about this because you even have the epic scene where jason miller has to kill his wife who's been turned you know by the dragon right. by, by the vampire essentially the vampire pops up like every 30 or so years he pops up does some stuff maintains his money and his wealth and then he'll, he'll, he'll he pretty much kill and then he'll disappear and he'll basically go to ground for a, for like another three or four decades, and he'll pop back up. And he's pretty much leapfrogging through time um, to you know to put the underworld spin on it. And so he comes across. He's so what he does is he when he pops up, he pretty much you know the way he cultivates his money is in art. So he's an art collector, and you know art is notoriously a market in which money laundering greatly occurs. So you can make a lot of money, especially if you have really old shit that you've looted through time. So he basically would loot shit. He would like join something like that. Like they, they allude to the possibility that he was with the Nazis. He was a Nazi again. And he skimmed off of their, yeah, he skimmed off of, but he did it so he could skim off their looting, stash that away and then disappeared so that he could like pretty much wait, you know, sleep for the next three decades and then come back up and wait for, you know, now the war's over, all's good, let's go get my art, and I can make my millions again, reinvest those, so, and the cycle just keeps continuing. And so then he's one day the he wakes up and they're trying to fucking dig up his, you know, his Yeah, well, yeah, the, the, uh, there, the where he's buried, where they put the, the cross up, the thing is, okay, when you put the cross up, and the shadow of the cross is calling the ground, to, is causing the ground it's on to cook, that's probably a bad sign. It's but, probably an indication to maybe just go fucking anywhere else. They oh yeah, they even recreate the scene where Miller's Miller uh, Miller's um uh, hot or he was um God his last name it was so obvious uh, Rollins okay so John <laughs> Rollins instead of like uh, so John Rollins has to kill his wife who's been turned uh, Leslie played by Catherine Harold so she he finds her dead body and the reason what happened is is he kills her the dread the vampire kills her because uh, initially when he popped up they were going to go into business together he needed. Uh, Rollins plays a city, pretty much a city engineer, and he needs his help to excavate an old area where he stashed a bunch of his art. And so he was going to like, you help me dig it up, get the permits and everything. We'll dig up this art. I'll donate a bunch of art. And we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll all make a bunch of money. It'll be fantastic. But the evidence of some of the stuff on his manifest of the art that he has 
start sending up red flags. Times have changed. Technology's gotten a little bit better than it was in the 1920s and the 1930s. So they track some of this stuff as being looted from uh, looted by the Nazis. This throws up red flags. And of course, he winds up getting arrested. So the whole deal gets broken up and you know, it, it's all fucked. So he gets pissed and his revenge is to kill his wife. So they recreate the whole scene when, you know, Parker has to go down and he discovers Mina. And Mina's been turned and he has to kill Mina. It's a whole big thing. And they go through all of this. Two things. I mean, one, no blood in this movie whatsoever. No. None. Not, not There's no blood anywhere. Make Two, TV, <laughs> vampires don't have fangs. That's Yeah, that's true. They never even like worked that into the costume at all. It was just that's it. The vampires don't see, have that's fangs. Not, it's not the only. It's that's not the only show or movie to do that though. I've seen that before. But that would be even worse with no fangs. <laughs> and they say actually say like the, the, the throats were ripped open. Yeah, because he's using his bare fucking teeth to do it. He it may be strong, wild, but there's no fangs. <laughs> and then he, he even has the scene when he when the fucking Rollins is in the uh, Roll. Uh, when Rollins is in the insane asylum because, you know, he's like, oh, my God, my wife was killed by a vampire. I can't deal with this shit. So he's in the fucking asylum and the vampire comes to him. He's like, oh, he's like hypnotizing him. And he leans in there. He's like, ah, oh. <laughs> no fucking, t- no fucking fangs, right. no fangs, no blood. But I will say this in the, in the big final confrontation, when he's hitting him with the crucifix, that was kind of neat because I wasn't expecting that. The whole because I, I I'd either forgotten it or just you know whatever I saw it so many years ago when he when he hits him with the fucking crucifix and it's like squibs going off yeah like it's like it's like sparks and shit I thought that was kind of cool 1979 <laughs> that was pretty brilliant and then you got to consider the you know got you have to consider the technology and I would say consider the the cost of this film right and the cost of this film was I mean at the time 1979. Virtually all of these things, these are location shooting. Location shots are expensive. Right. And so they're driving all over fucking, you know, San Francisco, the Bay Area, to get all these shots. I can imagine how it's been, not to mention Miller, fresh off of The Exorcist. His name right. is big. You've got Broadway actors in here. You've got Emmy-nominated, Emmy award-winning actors in here. This thing was expensive as fuck. Oh, for sure. Well, and not one drop of blood. And not <laughs> no fang. And no fangs. Although I will admit, him having a car... That has a phone in it. Yeah, I, that phone. was badass. You know, yeah, I actually, yeah. I actually, I actually, I actually had to look that up. There's a the there's scene with you. Know, yeah, the car phone because he. You know, there's a scene when the girl that they're trying to protect, they don't want her to get kicked. She obviously gets grabbed by the vampire, and so he calls um, E.G. Marshall's Van Helsing character. He calls him from the car phone. Yeah, like, this is this is '79. Most likely yeah. shot in '78. This technology existed. Uh-huh. At the time, and it was it caught, you know, just like, and, oh yeah, it was. And I'm just saying because you know he's supposed to be super rich, but I'm like, well, right. how rich is he? Maybe he's just collecting art, and he's just all speculative, you know, speculative rich. Like, fuck no, nope. this cat's <laughs> got cash because I looked into it. The way car phones work then is they had an actual like radio transmitter in yeah. the car, and so I can't you, believe what, you didn't know about car. Well, phones. I had to look, I had to look into it. Not this far back. I I, I knew early cell phone technology. But early car phone technology essentially had a custom, this, this specially designed box that went into your car that contacted a radio tower that was then that was then sent to an operator. The operator would pick up the radio frequency. She called the number you were trying to call herself, and then she would connect the radio call to the telephone call for her. She would just link the two together. 
you know, they just wire the two together. And I'm like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. But do you have any idea? In in 1979, this technology cost four thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's it's fifteen like, grand right it's now. A car, yeah, it's a car. It's I a can buy a, fucking... I can somebody, I can buy two cars <laughs> for the cost of that phone in '79. So yeah. I just had to throw it out there. I was like, holy shit, this seventy. This fucker has a car phone. Listen, He's like 1979. I'm just calling you from the car phone like it's fucking nothing. It's like, okay, this dude. Okay, this vampire's got fuck you money. <laughs> yeah. No, car phones are cool. And then bag phones came along after that. My dad had a bag phone. I remember that. He still had it when I was alive. But yeah, no, that's insane. I can't believe you didn't know about car phones. Yeah, they were the, all the fucking. But I you just, only I never, had I one never liked, had... I never had a reason to dive into them as always. I guess. And I was just, this, <laughs> but I mean, come on. That says something about this movie and why it didn't work. If like one of the things yeah. that stands out is the vampires on a car phone. I'm like, come <laughs> on, man. It's like, that's what stands out to me. You got a vampire, classic modern, you know, 1979 San Francisco story retelling of Dracula. You got the debonair vampire. He's a good character actor, a fucking talented dude. Lots of talent. E.G. Marshall, Jason Miller. You got talent all over the fucking place. And, you know, I'm like, holy shit, he's got a fucking car phone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the vampire's got a car phone. But that's, I mean, that's what stands out. And that's that's how they made this. But this was so, it was so made for TV. Like, that. Absolutely. Even the, even, even the even the, the romantic scenes when he's like oh <laughs> okay that was one thing TV kisses TV kissing <laughs> in the seventies like, it's, it's just like, like the angles it's, always at the back of the head and it's but it, and it's like, always pecs mm. it's just pecs <laughs> and then they're like hovering over each other's mouths it's, it's fucking crazy that makes it way more awkward than it's like just, just fucking make out I was like what are you doing but maybe it's because she didn't want to kiss him I don't I don't fucking know. But it was just, it's just awkward. The love scene's awkward. But then they do the whole like you know like out of focus. Uh, or they they do <laughs> they, they, they they really they like double and triple up on the filters to kind oh of God. filter the scene so you can't get any real detail. So <laughs> and they, they just to make it titillating and alluring. Like, come on, dude, your vampire doesn't have fucking bangs. Like, what are you doing? He had good hair, but that was it. Oh, he had fantastic hair. <laughs> <laughs> that suit when he's walking. He had fantastic hair and that suit. That's never what we're same fucking suit throughout the whole fucking movie. That's Months that's go by in this, and same suit every single time. It's like yeah, fuck no. I guess if you find it, if you, if you find something and you wear it well, then you just wear it. I, that probably happened a lot back, you know, back in the day. Well, I mean, it's not like he sweats. So, that's true. Yeah, you know, he's also a fucking vampire. So square up, bro. <laughs> you know, uh, the fact, and he's, he's obviously quite talented at what he does because he's like chewing into people's throats with his bare teeth or like biting them. And with getting no, no blood, blood. In, and no blood anywhere. No blood. Leaving the, dude, zero the dude's evidence. a fucking Dyson. <laughs> <laughs> now I just imagine him walking up to him. <laughs> just a vacuum. Just, just like he, he just drops pressure and it just wah, just kind of comes out. <laughs> Bitch, I got a fucking car phone. I can create negative space. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking brilliant. But yeah, that and, and that's what kind of what I want to talk about regarding this one is like, so made for TV horror. This is kind of a face plan. I've seen scary made for TV horror. I don't give a fuck what Johnny says. It fucking scared me. It was fucking scary. Now, I saw it in 1990. I was 10 years old. I saw it on TV. The first half is scary as fuck when you're a kid. <laughs> Alpha Kid what he's the wet dry back of vampires. <laughs> so, you know, the, 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 you can do scary on TV. There's been scary stuff I've seen. The hell, the stand was scary. 
You know, there's yeah. a way to do it. You play upon the things that you can work with. But you, I mean, if you're going to tackle vampires, even Salem's Lot was made for TV. It didn't come out that far after this one. I think actually, I think it came out before the original Salem's uh, Lot. I think it was like 73, wasn't it? I'm thinking 74. Uh, the original Salem's Lot, uh, America, yeah, that television actually maybe maybe in the 80s. No, no, 1979. Came oh, out the sure, exact yeah, same right, year. Yeah, right you know, and, and that's, I mean, maybe they got the budget to do it. But I mean, come on, fake fangs. How much are fake fangs? All you need to do is just, literally just, just, just put them in. They right. weren't that hard. I mean, you look at the vampire designs of Salem's Lot. You look at what they did there. It's essentially the same thing. It's just you know, I don't know why. Yeah, but look they, at their they location. Didn't... A lot of that was shot in that house, and like you know, it, it true. Was, it had very low. There was a lot of money that went out the window this, as far as location shooting because all the yeah. when they're hunting around, going to all the all the coffins. I mean, that's my every single time you're moving that set every single place. You yeah. Have the penthouse that they were shooting in. Although yeah, we only got a few scan, shit. we only got a few scan shots of it real quick. I'm and sure then we got only there for ten minutes. <laughs> right, and then we got like the party. Then you've got the theater, and then you've got them driving all over creation to yeah. go to that yeah, that out of the way lighthouse to go to the you know deep down. And they shot that. That was an actual sewer. Yeah. That they went into. They shot that whole sequence down in that tunnel. In the drainage I mean, tunnel, you gotta you, know? you gotta pay people to be on site for that stuff all day long. You gotta have safety people there. Like, yeah, a lot of the money went to the location of this. And yeah. it, but but that's I feel like a, kind of a theme in um, not obviously not with Salem's Lot, but with these made for TV movies is they do a lot of that like location shooting and they want people to connect with it. You know, so like San Francisco's got a huge population, and they're like, oh, let's watch this movie. It's got you know all the streets that I drive down to go to work. Right. You know, on TV, and so that's why stuff like that kind of works, um, because you got a much bigger audience that can sit on their couch and watch it, um, as opposed to you know paying to go see a movie. So, I can see where that was used strategically in this. Um, other than that, though, they would have needed a lot more money, I think, to make this a successful made-for-TV movie. Uh, not not terrible, but like no, you said, man, there's, there's, a, there's a lot lacking. The writing was actually decent. I, I was actually kind of surprised. Like, you I mean, you got a decent script. I mean, it's not great in some areas. I mean, a lot. Of, you know, there was a bunch of exposition, but I thought the concept. You know, when they were really, they were talking with this vampire, and they're like building them up. Uh, all the information comes from different sources. You don't have one person being all the exposition, which was good. Right. So you got little bits and details coming from all over the place. And I thought, and I was like, this is actually not bad. It's not badly written. It's it's actually well produced. I thought it was yeah. You know, I th- honestly think it needs a 4K restoration just because you know just for the sake of it. You know the character actors are legendary in them. Why not just do a restoration of this one? Because the version that I saw was actually a burnt. It was actually a uh, a duped copy off of VHS. A was VHS. That how I was how I watched this one <laughs> that they yeah. recorded in the movie theater with a, the fucking the, camera. Or maybe it was that, or they just or, or they just they just they just you know copied it directly when it was airing. It's, and yeah, then yeah. that was oh, pretty yeah, much it. it didn't, yeah. I, they probably didn't show it in the theater, huh? So I'm just kind of like, eh, I, I mean, but this is what they, I mean, if you want to see a movie that has the cleanest fucking vampire you've ever seen, he's like we're talking clean. clean. He is fucking clean. <laughs> to the, to the, I mean, to the nines, he doesn't spill a drop, but he's never fucking, no matter where he lives, he's never dirty. He's very Damn suave. Man. So very suave motherfucker. If you want to see that with no fangs, no blood, no real romance, you know, you everything is kind of like. YouTube, I think. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Is it? And then uh, you can, uh, then, I mean, you look at this, I mean. That's what you're gonna get, and it's actually classified as horror. And I think, I mean, I think the 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 I think we see a skeleton shot. It's like a skeleton. There was like some bones, right. and then there's like the the scene of the hand, like when he finds his wife, when Rollins finds his wife, and her hand yeah. is like like 
her hand is like in the foreground. It's literally like right there. Right. He's like, oh no, and then that's pretty much it. And then he runs off. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, <laughs> that, was, that was it. Uh, that was. It was like, I mean, uh, very, dry, uh, very, very Darth Vader. <laughs> but hey, um, I mean, what? I mean, what can you do? I mean, yeah, when you're shooting network, you're the, you're kind of at the. When you're shooting for network TV, you're kind of at the mercy of the network. God, especially at that time, that was peak fucking yeah. network. You know, they were the shit back then. Um, now they're just shit. <laughs> uh, dad jokes, bro. Uh, I think uh, I think that's pretty much it for that one. So I think I can wrap this one up with a question. Um, mm-hmm. We've kind of talked about the made for TV stuff. Uh, more recently, I think we've seen a lot of these like uh, what are the limited series oh, shows yeah, on yeah, like yeah. Netflix, and the, you know, with these new platforms that we have, stuff like these limited series are good because you can do. A whole movie idea but you can get the netflix budget to do do it in six episodes and i feel like it's actually kind of working out uh, i just started midnight mass uh and I, it's pretty good it's a limited series i think it's seven episodes or something like that but i like that i like being able to get into the dracula that was another one that we we discussed that kind of started these whole uh three episode five episode yeah deal oh yeah the net the new netflix one yeah yeah oh, dude yeah. That was, it was great that was a great three-part series well, it's, a good, it's a good send back to, to hammer horror absolutely you can see the, yeah the inspirations there was well and it mixes and it, they use you know uh techniques from each era that they're shooting and it's just it looks really good um so i think that's kind of working you know that's that's something that we can kind of look forward to in the future is these cool uh three five seven part horror movies that uh you can really get into character development and shit so i i love character development and if you have like a whole episode to get into one character a whole episode to get into another and then kind of work a story from that. I really like that kind of stuff. Um, but that brings me to the question to the audience. Uh, can horror be made for TV? Uh, the platform's changing a lot now mm. where it's it, a different type of made for TV horror. So I think we'll stop seeing a lot of that kind of daytime, like, oh, catching on sci-fi shit. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if sci-fi <laughs> kind of got on the same board where they're starting to do these limited series stuff. Well, you see, it's interesting because with the advent of streaming, you can you. It seems like it almost seems like network TV, like you say, like ABC, CBS, NBC. That what they're doing here is that they're utilizing streaming in order to tap into the the kind of cable network market, the right. stuff that you know AMC does, and like you know with The Walking Dead, like you you see the and they, where we can be more a little bit more expressive with the language, expressive with the violence, expressive with you know. The special effects and that we can spend a little bit more money there because it's less money than than doing it for like doing like a network production right. the distribution model is built in oh yeah it's right there it's like boom if you've got subscribers you can get to your subscribers immediately there's no having market, to wait you can market from your couch right i don't, don't have, have to, to wait it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's 7 p.m <laughs> it's 7 p.m i gotta you know time to turn on the show yeah you know i can get you it don't even have to set it to record you can watch it whenever the fuck there you, you go so the model has changed so but I don't even know. I'm sitting there thinking about it. It's like, you know, network, just basic network, like CBS, you know, can they, you know, can networks like this still do horror or is it pretty much the domain of, of cable of like cable networks, HBO, Showtime, AMC, you know, I'm just kind of, kind of, I was curious about that because they may be able to do it on streaming, but I don't know if you'll catch this stuff. Like if I just turn on channel four on my television and there's CBS, will I see it there? You know, what's the last time you looked I steer away from it. And oh, okay, recently, that's the thing is I haven't for a long time, but I have a digital antenna and I was trying to catch to see if I could get some football this weekend. 
because I'm sick of watching the fucking Cowboys. They just are terrible. So I was trying to see if I catch anything else because uh, they do the Cowboys game on like Prime and stuff. So I hooked up my little digital antenna. I turned the TV on, and it was just it was just news. And there's like so many like 24 hour news, you know, on the weekend now mm-hmm. on these big channels. And it's just terrible. It's it just the news is just shit right now. Yeah, I want to sit there and listen about people getting fucking murdered all day. So I was like, I, I don't even I, fuck it. Like it's not even worth it. I'll go back to watching Netflix because that's entertaining, and I don't feel like, you know, I got to go save, you know, babies' lives or some shit because it's like, it's just crazy. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I can't. I can't stand. I had it on for a day, and I was like, no, fuck that. Yeah. That's all just bad stuff. So I mean, I don't know. It's it's uh, different than it used to be for sure. Alpha Can anyone says in the eighties, public broadcast censors were very strict. Oh, there was actually an episode of the X Files that made fun of that. Yeah. I broadcast standards and practices. This is unacceptable. And he busts in there and kills everybody on set. It was great. Um, Alpha Can anyone says blood on public TV was measured in cups, not gallons. Very, a lot of times true. it was just inferred too. It's like there yeah. was blood everywhere. They come out of the room like, and they never show it's in the room. Yeah. Travis Brown, if you get the right scares like Salem's Lot, then horror can be made for TV. That's true. But I think I, I think where it comes down to, and I, you may you may disagree or you may have a different answer, definitely shoot us an email, weekendhorrorgmail.com, or let us know in the comments. I don't know if I'm a network television, just basic network television. I don't how know if you, it's there how anymore. How would you even market that to people I think like the market's us. dead because they'll they'll just produce it and put it on streaming. You put it on HBO. Like yeah. That, you know. We may, we may, they don't like to go to Netflix, go to Hulu, go exactly. to Paramount Plus, go to Disney Plus. Am, yeah. Amazon. Amazon. It's just, Somebody will pick you up. Yeah, it's just kind of like I don't think there's a, I don't I don't I think it may be a dead realm. It may Shark be just a dead area. We'll find out. Let us know. Let us know what you think. We can at gmail.com. I watched Velocipaster again the other day. Nice. It's great. The perfect movie <laughs> does not exist. Oh, Velocipaster. Oh, <laughs> oh that's good. Oh, thank you, Ryan and Ants. Appreciate that. We seem to be missing some likes. Smash that like button if you get an opportunity. I see how many people are in there. 25 people there. I have no idea how many likes we have, though, because I can't see that right now. So, but I appreciate that, Ryan. Hit the subscribe button to beat the dreaded algorithm. Do we have to be yes. every YouTuber? <laughs> oh, that dreaded algorithm is just killing uh, us. Look, uh, you had you had this many views, but you only had three likes, uh, and nobody subscribed, so you have zero views. What? <laughs> <laughs> Who is it? Uh, um, I know that there's the big thing about trying to push us. Oh, look at that. We are currently at 492. Oh, so close. We are so close to 500. Hit that 500. Yeah, we're eight away, eight away from 500 on YouTube. I hope that we can hit that. Half of the halfway mark would be fantastic, but we're eight away. So maybe when this goes out, we'll be able to hit this one. That would be cool to hit the halfway mark. That'd be super dope. All right. So I we got one more. One more to close this bad boy out. And this is an interesting one. And I, I actually wanted to get Johnny's take on this. I'm sorry he wasn't able to join us for this. Damn but um, let me actually, I, I jumped over to check the YouTube channel. So I got to go jump back to my notes. So yes, uh, released October 9th, 2020. We have the psychological horror film, psychological religious horror film, St. Maud. Talk about a fucking de- directorial debut, man. Right. Written and directed uh, by Rose Glass, starring Morphin Clark, who is a Welsh actress, a very talented Welsh actress. She'll be in the new uh, Amazon Prime uh, Lord of the Rings series coming up. And Jennifer and Jennifer L. Um, the story centers around a young woman uh, traumatized by previous events who, after becoming reborn, 
as a devout Catholic um, and working as a nurse, uh, you know, is sent to basically sent to take care of the you know palliative care. She's a palliative care nurse. Is sent to take uh, be the caretaker for a woman dying from a former dancer dying of lymphoma, stage four lymphoma. And in her final days, Maud becomes obsessed with trying to save her soul. Believes that God has put her on her path to save this woman's soul. And it's this was scary in and it was scary in two ways. Hey, Dajub. Hello. Good. Thank you for joining us tonight. Good to see you. What's so this one, this one kind of hit me on two levels. Is one, you see the the terrifying effects of fundamentalist belief, especially this degree, especially when the reason when you realize when it, when it's uncovered the reason that Maud that or actually Katie is her real name. She changed her name to Maud to escape her past was because she worked as a trauma nurse in the ER. And I guess the, you know, the death got to her and she lost a patient. And as a result of that kind of breakdown, tried to commit suicide. And then religion was kind of like the last rung she clung to. So it shows the terror of that, which is really fucked, which is scary in and of itself. But then what that can lead to, um, when you're engaging with other people and how you never really know what's under the surface. So it's both the, the terror, uh, the psychological terror of fundamentalist behavior, of just that extremist behavior, and also the fact that you never really know somebody because throughout most of the film, Maud comes off as meek, quiet, caring, nurturing, friendly. You know, she's she, she's there to, to, she's a nurse. You know, the, the, she's there to assist and to help. But underneath is just this ocean of pain and regret and you know inner torment, you know. And you and as she narrates herself through the cycle, it was like God has a purpose for me. It's meant to like this. And then all of a sudden, when things don't go right, all of a sudden it's kind of like, wait, maybe God's pulling a prank on me. I don't understand this. And then you know her views on her religion changes. Her moods change because the girl is this character is obviously mentally unstable. And but, but not to herself. So this. Oh no, no. To her, it's to her. It's completely real. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. Everything is going on, and that's that's what's terrifying about this movie. It's so psychological, and the whole time, it's it's hard because this is so new and it's so good that I don't want to like give a whole bunch away. So I'll kind of brush on it like this: you start out with somebody who went through a lot and is now trying to uh, cope with it, but instead of coping, it just gets pushed really hard down into the depths and then is replaced with this uh, veneer facade of um, righteousness. And like you said, thinking like, okay, maybe, maybe it's not okay, but then just giving, you know, all of your giving everything up, putting all your faith into something that is supposed to be guiding you and you feel that it is. And then in the end, at the very, very last very last second you realize that you've made a terrible and fatal mistake and everything comes crashing down a lot of this movie a lot of the character development in this movie comes at the very last couple minutes of this movie where everything kind of clicks into place and you get sucked from the beginning of this movie everything you felt through the whole thing all gets drawn into this singular point at the very end of this movie and it's like holy shit yeah. Um, the director did such a good job in this and, uh, Maude, uh, Clark, was that her last name? Clark, um, uh, mm -hmm. did such a good job at telling the story of this person who had been through trauma 
in a way that it's like you kind of question like shit have i repressed things in my life that could come back and kick me in the ass and uh yeah so this is this was a psychological fucking roller coaster for sure big time and i, I love how both um uh morphin uh well, sorry morph uh i want to make sure because her name is her name is welsh and yes. she and, and she gets and it's cool because it's a you know everybody speaks she's supposedly she's because she's in uh she's in wales and everybody is speaking english around her but she occasionally has moments where she speaks welsh because the actress can speak is, is fluent in both and she's an extremely talented young lady and i love the way she and the director and the cinematographer uh, work together, especially and also the director of photography, work together in order to convey the kind of m- mental state that she is in. And so you get this, you know, what a, 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 I would say, a continuing theme throughout the film and how they shot it was how the camera focuses on mundane things, but very intently. Mm-hmm. In essence, she herself, and I would I would hazard that the character actually suffers from some level of OCD, where she hyper focuses on one particular thing for an inordinate amount of time. And hyper focuses on the details of things. So you'll find the camera grabbing stuff, like like things that are just innocuous and staring at it while action is going on. And just like, you know, and you hear things in the background almost like they're kind of secondary to the sort action on screen, out. which is just yeah. just the 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 tomato, the tomato soup and you know boiling in a pan, or yeah. a water faucet running, or a drain, water running down the drain. There yeah, was a, a shot lot of the living room with like the the wall, the mantle. There's something on the mantle, right? Um, and it's just yeah. and that's and essentially, and then you look at how Maude, how uh, uh, Katie operates through the movie because she's a nurse, but everything is ordered, everything is set, everything is carefully placed, everything is measured out. Which I mean, it's and you know, say she's a nurse and she's professional, but it's to an obsessive degree, right? Where things are or things are so symmetrical. They because play they on have that a lot. In order. Yeah, they play on that being like almost like a uh, like a subconscious thing. Like there's something in the back of her head, you know, trying to you know organize everything in her life, but it's all falling apart. And that's all she does the whole time is just try to organize these thoughts and feelings, and it kind of plays all around in that. It's I, I guess I noticed that you know that the camera work focusing on it, but it's like, what is she doing? Is she thinking about what's going on? Is she completely blanking out? Like is everything? you know yeah and what's, and, and what's going on in her head that's why and it, that was so i mean there's so much speculation you can do about this character like what is going on in the head you know what is she thinking about in this most likely she's dwelling on her on her you know, religious ills or her relationship with god um then you have I mean, what i got from this just from my background well you know from what i understand about it, is that i think that she she would she suffered from ocd and she was pro and she's i think she I think she also was schizophrenic um or it was it was it was it's more of a dissociative she was the perfect age well, maybe dissociative because she was the perfect age for for schizophrenia to start presenting itself and or bipolar, i think she i think she know, suffered from epilepsy yeah 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 see that's that's another thing that's not even implied though i mean it is but it's not like it's not outright like stated absolutely that whole like yeah. tuning out thing um it, it it makes you think like is she is she repressing things at those times because the things that happen kind of after she kind of snaps out of it and everything kind of goes back to normal it's like okay i had my my moment i took my moment to press everything down and i'll do this whenever i start to get and then i'll press it down and then i can live my whole life just pushing those things down and ignoring them but it doesn't right it doesn't work that way you know especially when things don't go right as as we see oftentimes things do not go right for for mod they they don't like you know when 
certain things come out, uh, especially when um, Angela, the uh, the the woman that she's kid, the, the dancer who she is caring for, um, kind of makes fun of her, makes her laughing stock, humiliates her at one point during a party, during her birthday party. And then, of course, you know, the way people react to her, she's, you know, she's closeted, she's closeted, she's wound very, very tight. And then when she does try to express herself and come out, especially when she feels like God has abandoned her or God has abandoned her and she's got nothing, like she was wrong about everything, then she tries to kind of rebel. And even her rebellion is awkward and stilted and overbearing. So, and it just, you know, I felt for her badly because there are people and that's what made it scary is there are people going through this. This is a, this is a glimpse of real life. You know, it's, it's so like, much scarier. It's too, re- it's too real. And there's, like you said, there's an age it's around 28 when stuff like that starts to kind of come out. Like you're talking about um, schizophrenia and bipolar yeah. disorder and stuff like that. And one day you could just be a different person. You know, you have no idea that it's coming sometimes and or you know it slowly happens and you don't realize it and then somebody points it out one day and you know if you don't have a person in your life or you don't realize it you could live for a very long time in a reality that is not reality Um, and that's terrifying and there's not enough research and there's not enough people out there that can diagnose these kinds of things just by kind of looking at like a pet scan or um you know talking to somebody about it and that's terrifying in itself because it's like fuck you start to question everything around you and it's like it could be me and you, you know, we could be living our lives thinking that everything's going one way. Even if there's somebody screaming in your ear saying it's not, that doesn't register in your brain. And so that's like, then you're starting to think like, fuck, is is anything real? Like, am I doing this? Am I, do I kill people on the side and not know about it in my sleep? (laughs) Like, but it's, yeah, it's terrifying. Um, One thing that really stuck out to me is when they, uh, when she loses her job after the incident with Amanda at the party, and then she's got nothing. It's just she's in her little like state funded housing, uh, which is just this terrible little apartment that she's in. And you see see her slow descent because she has nothing to focus on. Right. Except for herself and her own thoughts. And because, you know, she's stuck in her little house. She's got no income, you know, and this shitty little apartment. She's all alone. She has no friends. She's rejected everybody from her previous life when she was a nurse. And she used to be, apparently, according to the characters around her, she used to be fun. She used to be kind of hedonistic. You'd go out and just be partying and stuff. Hey, cat. Sorry, there's a, you know, Alex. For those listening, Alex picked up his cat put him in the camera. So I was like, oh, hey, cat. Hey, kitty. And so it was the deterioration of her apartment over time yeah yeah the longer she was in there by herself and it's just a reflection of the the deterioration of her mind and that's what led me to believe that uh i was to conclude that she suffered from some level of schizophrenia is because the behaviors of it she was not keeping up she's so internally focused on what was going on mind organized yeah yeah like the, the disorganization of her mind was causing disorganization. So there's trash all eventually building up all over the place. There's dirty. It's dirty. There are cockroaches. She, you know, and she spends, you know, like especially the same way because at one point in the movie, she bur- she deliberately burns her hand on a stove, you know, as you have the kind of like the Catholic, um, Pen- something uh, the Catholics Pen- do. Pen- if, uh, the, the, if, I know that they, when, they, when they flagellate. Flagellate. <laughs> And yeah, when they're beating themselves like this, using pain in order to drive away impure thoughts or to drive away, you know, you know, feelings, just those feelings of nature. So she burns herself deliberately on a stove at one point and she burns herself quite badly. And so at one point when she's like digging at her hand, 
which was fucking, it was just that was kind of like, ah, uh, ah, uh, because it looked really super fucking painful. And then, of course, just everything just falling apart around her until eventually she feels like she's had some epiphany. And then she's able to get things back in order and start, you know, start, uh, yeah, CPM, like flagellation. And she's causing harm to herself. Oh, and uh, Angela watch, was watching it with me when she puts the um, the tack pads in her shoes. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh. Dude, it, yeah, it's stuff like that. It's like, it wasn't even like hardcore, you know, gore or anything, but it's like the thought. It Purity through head. physical sacrifice, it man. It made your, your brain feel funny. Oh, yep. Yeah, no, that, uh, it was pretty weird. And then, of course, that finale. I mean, <laughs> you know, it was. Bro, and the, the acetone, and then you're like, maybe everything I thought was wrong. And then, <laughs> and then no, the very final scene. As like, no, and then you're no. like, yeah, there's probably no way that's happening. <laughs> that's not happening at all, at all. No. So, and then that like, and, and then it flips, and you're like, oh god. <laughs> so I don't want to spoil that for anybody because you know it's it's, it's no, literally yeah, no. the last moment of the film, and when you see yeah. it, just I don't want to spoil that for anybody on that one. But uh, yes, and the George said, like the guy from the Da Vinci Code, the albino. This is a form of it's it's purification through pain. Is what it is, and or purification through pain, purification through fire, and that you know, paying yes, right and answer right, you know, paying penance, and in, in, in essence, you know, you essentially, you know, the pain negatively reinforce negatively reinforces the the thoughts that you don't want to have or the feelings you don't want to have. So whenever you have them, your brain associates that feeling with the pain, and then eventually you will stop having them because you've essentially you know burnt them away, or the pain will keep them away. But unfortunately, it doesn't happen, which is why. Self-flagellation continues on throughout life for people who endure it, and it gets worse and worse because you know your pain tolerance gets uh, goes up, but your your pain tolerance will go up, but your thoughts will always return. So right, right, that's yeah. But a darkly, a, a deeply disturbing little psychological thriller that I would highly recommend, and I think will. Uh, you know, I think we'll we'll give some people the skeevies as particular imagery, especially when you know you're when you know the cinematographer is not just capturing the scene; he is capturing a scene through Maud's eyes. It's a descent so. into darkness that you're not full. You're experiencing as the person descending, right. which is cool. It's not you're not watching it from the outside, being like, "Oh, that person's going crazy." You're like, "Am I the crazy one?" Or is <laughs> No, it's cool. It's really it made me feel the whole time so flat. Travis Brown, self flat. No, that, that's called the <laughs> Dutch. That's called the Dutch oven. Yeah. Tony Regime says, "Alex, if that makes you cringe." I watched a TV show where a group of idiots jumped barefoot on Legos. <gasps> Dude, I stepped on a Lego earlier, and Ow. my wife got mad. Like I stepped on the Lego, and my wife got mad. Well, it, I, it's how you, bad it fucking hurts. If you've ever played D anD D, if you ever played like tabletop, I, like that. Obviously, one of the one of the dice in this, in a in a dice set is a D four. A D four, yeah. So it's, Step it's on those w. little triangle we, motherfuckers. We used to call we used to call them caltrops. You just Bro, throw the D fours, and people was like, ah, fox. You could, you could fucking stop a pursuing vehicle with a handful of D fours for sure. <laughs> so yeah, but an excellent little horror film. I strongly recommend it. Um, but uh, I want to ask um, the audience. So, what is your favorite psychological horror film? I'm very, very curious. What do you, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, like I can say one of my number one favorites is the movie Seven. What about you, Alex? Oh shit! Now you fucked me up with Seven. No, that's. I mean, that's pretty good. Ugh, fuck. I mean, you get into psychological horror, man. Um, 
God, so what's in the box? Um, <laughs> what the fuck is in the fucking box? <laughs> every time you fucking bring that up, dude, I play the whole movie in my head. It's ridiculous. I've seen it so many fucking times. It's wild how it just how you uh, shrooms. shrooms is, shrooms is good. Yeah, that was shrooms a fucked up probably, one. If I had to pick a favorite of all time, I think Shrooms would have to be it. Oh, we got some good ones here. Donnie does that says identity. That oh, was a good, a good one. one. The uh, Tony receives his misery. Fantastic. That's, that's a good one. And the Jordan says uh, Omen. Sure. Nice. Travis Brown says Candyman. And the Jordan. Are you talking Omen back in the day? Or Omen? Yeah, probably the original, the Omen. Because yeah, you have the, the new one with Julius Because the, the June 6, 2006 yeah. one was kind of. Charlie Welts says 12 Monkeys. Yo. Nice. Yo. Yeah. yeah. Fucking uh, Terry Gilliam, man. Uh, awesome dude, shit. Yeah. Oh, Joshua Lee says, uh, would Darnie Darko be considered horror? Yes, yeah, it would. That was, absolutely that was a psychological horror. horror film. That that rabbit, Frank the Rabbit, was yeah, definitely yeah. psychological horror. God, those scenes, oh. that's another one of those where it just sits there. And you're CBL, like, oh, Gothica. Gothica was good. God, Robert Downey Jr., Halle Berry. Halle Berry, bro. Yep. Oh, uh, yo, the scene with the mirror? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was on the uh, the cover art for the uh, yeah. v- not the VHS. The, but uh, definitely the... let us know what is your favorite psychological horror film. We'd love to hear what you think. Uh, let us know in the comments below or hit us up at weekendhorrorgmail.com. Well, uh, hold, on, we... hold on, hold on, Joshua what? Lee. I think this is I don't know. This might be the first time Joshua Lee said uh, Albert Fish thought that too. I'm assuming they're talking about uh, flatulation or self. No, like self harm and stuff. Oh. This is the I think the first time Albert Fish has been brought up in our podcast. Uh, that's, yeah, well, Albert that's Fish weird was, that he hasn't been brought up previously. Albert Fish was, was a bad one, man. Was... Dude, yeah, but the whole I, if you've ever heard anything about him sticking rose stems and no, I know what I very my my background's in forensic psychology, dude. Nail, I'd rather watch something get stuck under somebody's fingernail than oh my god, <laughs> think about yeah. I uh, Commander <laughs> Darklight. Oh, Angel Heart. Yes, uh, Angel Heart. Uh, Robert De Niro and Mickey <laughs> Rourke, and yeah. uh, where Back Robert De Niro played the totally devil. Fucking broken. Mm-hmm. Trump presidency. <laughs> the Trump presidency. <laughs> oh, well, there went the alt right crowd. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> See you later. All yeah. right. Well, it's about that time, Alex. Here. I think we, we think? should probably give some tri- shit away. Is it trivia time? I think we should probably give some shit time away. Time to give some shit away. All right. So um I'm gonna let you decide. What should we Me? give away? Oh should shit. We, uh, should we give away a limited edition shirt number four? Limited uh, the fourth one? Should we give away a season three shirt? Should we give away a coffee mug? I always decide every week. So I want you to decide this week. I want you to you you to tell our audience what we are giving them the winner. Of this uh, trivia question today, have we given away a season four or a season three shirt? Or- yes, we have. We gave away two season three shirts. Jinju got a season three shirt. Sarcasm got a, a season three shirt, and Jord got a uh, limited edition shirt number four. He got the uh, shit gets real shirt. Nice. <laughs> uh, you need some pictures of that. Give away a mug. I'm here. Give away a mug. Give away a we mug. Do give away, we do give away a lot of shirts. We give away a lot of shirts, but not a lot of mugs. Let's do a mug. Can we do a limited edition mug? We still have that Ooh, one on the store. We could do a limited edition mug. Let's do a limited edition yeah, mug. Yeah, let's do that before it disappears. All right. Three, okay, for episode 302, we're going to do a limited edition mug. That's the one with the custom art by Joshua Olson. Dude, it's good. It's good so stuff. limited edition mug number one. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. He's, uh, the link for his, the link for Joshua Olson's story does all of our in-house artwork um, is down in the description below. You should definitely check that out. Yeah, all right. Right, so. Uh, let me see. George says, give away a mug. I only have shirts. Need a mug. Charlie Wells says, I have a mug, and he uses it well. 
Uh, Daryl M says, "Don't give away jail. I have to give away. I'm compelled to give away." I think I think maybe he meant like, "Don't give away you." Oh, don't give away me. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Daryl M. I really do. Nerd Joel says, I have some nugs. I think that's different. That's something else. I don't know if it's, you know, chicky nuggies or, you know, nug or nuggies. Nug nugs. <laughs> okay, oh, so let's do this. We're going to give away a limited edition mug number uh, the Our first limited edition mug featuring custom artwork by Joshua Olson, done specially, done specially for the channel. Get your... Google Foo ready. I see Jordan is already prepping his Google Foo. He's already typing in all caps. He's ready to go. Let's fucking He's go. Good. Yes. All <laughs> right. Uh, Alex, take it away with this week's trivia question. All right. This week's trivia question is, who was Roddy McDowell's horror host character, Peter Vincent, from 1985's Fright Night, named in honor of? Who was Roddy McDowell's horror host character, Peter Vincent, from 1985's Fright Night, named in honor of. I got to get the live chat ready so I make sure that we have <laughs> the right person who gets it. I got both of mine up too. All right. First person with the correct answer in the live chat will win a Week in Horror limited edition number one mug. Tony Regime says, uh, oh, Ooh. no. Oh, I, I see. This is why I asked it because I knew it was going to happen. Okay. As a hint, this is actually a referential trivia question that referenced our Elvira episode last week. Okay? So if you watch that episode, the answer to this one was actually in the previous episode of Week in Horror, just to give you a heads up. Because we have a lot of what we see here. So we got... Uh, Tony Regine says, Vincent Price. No, unfortunately not. Commander Darklight also said Vincent Price. Charlie Welch and Peter Cushing. Unfortunately, no. Nerd Journal says, Mary Jane? What is Nerd And <laughs> Hey, I see what you're on. <laughs> <laughs> Glover Mom also said Vincent Price. Unfortunately, Vincent Price is not the answer. Uh, Charlie Welch is Peter Vincent. Oh, Peter Vincent was the name of his character in Friday Night. But who is he named for? Alex, give the question one more time. All right, we're going to do this one more time. Who was Roddy McDowell's horror host character, Peter Vincent from 1985's Fright Night, named in honor of... Not Peter Vincent, not the person who played it. Who yeah. was Daryl M says Charlie Brewster? Nope, that was the name of the other guy in Friday Night. Unfortunately, oh, the Cowardly Lion. That's hilarious. Tony Ruiz Mario Bava. <laughs> Great said, Ah, uh, what's this? Uh, Charlie Wilson says Herbert Herbert McHollihy. What the? <laughs> I don't know who the, who is Herbert McHollihy. Uh, I don't know. Mario Bava. <laughs> nice try. I gotta uh... know who Herbert. McCauley, I think you made that up. It's not He's popping up. That name. <laughs> oh, yeah. That Google shirt revealed, resulted in nothing. There's nothing on that. Video, so he, that's made up. Uh, Chris Durham says Van Gogh's member or Van Gogh, you know, Van Gogh's member. Uh, Van unfortunately, Gogh. no. Come on. I know someone out there, 26 people watching this. I know someone's got to have that Peter answer Vincent by now. Named, who was Peter Vincent named after? So, who, who was Roddy McDowell's horror host character, Peter Vincent, from 1985's Fright Night, named in honor of? Where was the name taken from? Daryl Adams is Peter shit. Cushing. Oh, got a lot of Hammer Horror references here. Come on. I know someone out there's got it. 27 people watching. Maybe if I rephrase it, make it a little bit easier. Roddy McDowell, legendary actor Roddy McDowell, played the horror host, Peter Vincent, in 1985's Fright Night. The character Peter Vincent was named in honor of this person. Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. 
Well, I didn't want to pose. I wouldn't want to like you know put it like like Jeopardy. I didn't want to do it like <laughs> that. So, oh, so many more Daryl Ems is Peter Cushing. Another Vincent Price from Daryl M. Oh, Daryl's just I think Daryl's just spamming trying to get it. Charlie Welch is Simon Banford. <laughs> Tony Regimes is Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. Unfortunately, no, that is not the answer. You'd think it would be, but it actually <laughs> it actually isn't. Josh Lee says Peter Graves. No, unfortunately, Charlie Welch is Tim Holland. No, that was the director. Uh, actually Tom Holland was the director of Fright Nights. Unfortunately, and the George says I don't know. The Google says Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. Oh wow, are we not going to get an answer for this? We talked about it on the last episode. Daryl Ebbs' spam is good, especially fried. Logical Hillbilly, good to see you in the house. He came by just for the trivia tonight. Says Peter Jackson. Unfortunately, no, that's not it either. CPM says Wikipedia lies to us. Travis Brown says Vampira. <laughs> ah, she, okay. Here's another hint. Vampira took over after this person died. That's the answer. I can't give any more hints. I essentially I just think, told yeah. them who it was. I'm trying to see if there's like a way that I can type it in. Wells is Peter Laurie. <laughs> this is the, I think this is the longest. Is this as long as we've gone without an answer? Uh, no, we've got a trivia question. That we're, that we're about to say. longer than this? Yeah. We're going to close in on it. I mean, I mean yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I see PMC. Uh, great because I'm getting like spurts of like stuff on the screen. Like, ah, I'm like, oh, well, but I got to go down because people will get an answer and they'll run back to it real fast. Let me see. Uh, Joshua Lee said Roddy McDowell. No, not Roddy McDowell. Roddy McDowell was the actor who played him. Um, and the George says Pacvo uh, Nermi. Now, I think it's a reference uh, talking about who Vampira, uh, that actress who played Vampira. But the actor before that, IMDb says Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. No, that's actually not it. IMDb is wrong on. Yes, Daryl M has got it. Yo, so it it does in the the wiki fandom. It says uh, Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. It does, but, but that's not that's not that's not where it happens. comes from because Peter Vincent was and yes, Daryl M got it. It is Larry it Vincent. Larry Larry, Larry Vincent. Vincent was uh, was uh, Sinister Seymour was Seymour the horror host uh in the eight uh, i think it was in the 70s to the 80s who did um a weekend show or it was, it was the 70s who did a weekend show where he was the campy horror host seymour presents and had his and he did a show one of his one of his shows he hosted was called fright night and so yes. yes peter vincent was taken and correct it is correct that Vincent, the last name was taken in honor of Larry Vincent's work on that show, on the original show, Fright Night. The movie was called Fright Night. And yes, the the, the name Peter was taken from Peter Cushing, the classic, you know, hammer horror actor. But Vincent came directly from Larry Vincent, who played Seymour until he passed away. And then that show was taken over by Vampira, who then after she quit, it was taken over by Elvira. So congrats to Daryl M. It was a stumper because, and the reason I chose it is because IMDb, Wikipedia, all of that is actually incorrect because they don't source the right material. And the right material comes from the production notes. Yeah, interviews with Fright- the production notes. Interviews with the production notes and the production notes of Fright Night yeah. and how they named Peter Vincent. So it was in 
in honor of Larry Vincent. And if you look at his picture, he's so adorable. Like he's got the sunken <laughs> cheeks and the sallow eyes. And, you know, he's like the goofy kind of like lint, like lanky dude. Oh, he's great fun to watch. Um, uh, but yes, in honor yeah. of Larry Vincent. Congratulations to Daryl M. Let me write that name down. Good job. I knew if there's I anybody know. out there that edits wikis, you should probably go in there and change some shit because the fandom wiki is fucking way wrong. Oh, yeah. Big time wrong. Yeah. So that's why I love that. I wanted to use that question the minute I read about it. I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to ask this. Because a lot of people thought it, it was written a lot of places that it was Peter Vin- that it was Peter Vincent was inspiration of Vincent Price and Peter Cushing. Oxford's Razor, dude. Easiest, that was the easiest explanation. Exactly. So yeah. It's the easy explanation. Unfortunately, they don't go deep enough and they just make that assumption based on the legendary horror figures when in actuality – Good old Larry Vincent, who not a lot of people remember because he was overshadowed by overshadowed by Vampira, and then yep. she was overshadowed by Elvira. And so. you know what? That brings us back to our first movie, where if you just follow the shadow people, you probably won't have all the information you need. There you go. <laughs> all right, fantastic! Congratulations to Daryl M for winning a limited edition Weekend Horror mug. I believe I have your shipping info. Um, if you need to update it, give me the new info. Um, just, just go and hit us. Yep. You know where to hit us at, uh, on the weekend horror discord or shoot us an email weekendhorror@gmail.com, and we will get that out to you ASAP. Fantastic. Well, that will bring an episode. This uh, bleh, so Let me start again. <laughs> we can cut that part out. And that brings another episode of weekend horror to a close. Thank you all so much for listening. And we truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week. When we look back at the original sorority house massacre, Stephen King's Silver Bullet, Happy Death Day, and the mind-bending Triangle. We'd like to spend a, a send a special shout-out to our amazing patrons who have helped us make the show the success it has become. Thank you all so very, very much. We could not do this without you. Also, be sure to check out Joshua Olson's new store, BadSamurai.store. Josh does all the amazing artwork that you see for our limited edition T-shirts and our mugs and our cover art. And he has some amazing new designs you all will be sure to love. I absolutely love the uh, the Ghost King from the Dead Army from Lord of the Rings. I love that shirt. I, I, I've got to order one for myself. I keep, like, forgetting to do it. Um, visit us at WeekendHorror.net where you can find links to all of our episodes, our bios, our merch store at Teespring, and, of course, enter your email for a permanent entry to win a mystery horror shirt every month, courtesy of SixDollarShirts.com. We have a drawing coming up in October here tomorrow. I will be drawing a name. So for for the six for one of our six dollars shirts, thank, thanks to them. We love them over there. For more horror entertainment, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Followers get our daily splatter, which is a little bit of horror info every day, right to your feed. You never know what new horrors you may discover. Subscribe to our channel, smash that bell like a zombie head, and that like button. We appreciate it. For all the latest updates from the show, we really hope you enjoyed this new live format since we switched to it, and we'd love to get your feedback on it. Be sure to leave us a comment below as the interactions really help us with that dreaded algorithm that we hate so much. It sucks. And lastly, if y'all truly love what we do here and would like and are able to support our production, you can through our Patreon. We have subscriber tiers as low as $1 a month, bonus and exclusive content, and horror films every single month for our higher tiers. However, if you prefer, you can support the show with one-time donations through our PayPal as well. Links to all of this, including our Discord community, where you can find film recommendations, trailers, trivia games, horror watch parties, and even interact directly with us, are in the description below. And we know that things are fucking crazy out there again. And it's we don't know what's going on. Things are definitely uncertain. So, as I mean, you support... 
is all, I mean, your support is, is integral to us to making the show happen. And as always, simply commenting, liking, and sharing the show with the friends that you know in your local horror community is the absolute best way to help us continue to grow. So thank you all so much for being the greatest audience that a podcast could have. I'm JL. I'm Alex. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared. Thank <laughs> you.